The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show, gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do, allows you access to exclusive podcasts, and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about Sacred Symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 53. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my fellow birthday boy, Chris Raygun, because Chris, this is actually now the second year of Sacred Symbols officially. It's pretty wild. In fact, I think I could be wrong, but I believe we published the first episode of the show on July 2nd, 2018, which means this will actually go live exactly a year. 
after is that even possible is 365 divisible by seven i guess it is this is getting dizzy we're getting way too in the weeds with this let me see i'm gonna 365 divided by seven no that can't possibly be right then it's 52.14 listen i didn't show up to this show to do math all right <laughs> so i guess we're wrong i guess what well i guess i'm wrong you didn't say anything wrong anyway chris how are you today i'm doing good i was up till 5 a.m editing hmm. well, which, uh, which sounds bad but it's actually I, I like it i like getting shit done you got it's some nice. new stuff co- coming down the pipe here yeah i'm just waiting for an animation from a, a friend of mine uh for the video and then it's and then and then we're all good that's great uh is it down the pipe or down the pike i've heard both Pipe, right? What's that, what the hell? Pike. Down the pike? Yeah, like a pike. Like a pike is a road or a path, like a, a turnpike. Oh, I instance. guess. Yeah. I think of pikes as like the things that you stick uh, human heads like on. Like a spear. Yeah. yeah. That's also a pike. A pike is also a fish, I think. I think a pike is a type of fish. English is well. a, a horrible language, apparently. I know. It's like we make all these noises, obviously, but then they, <laughs> they see a spear they see a road and they see a fish. Yeah, and it's the a noise mess. they make is just we're going to call all of those things pikes. You know, what I was noticing the other day, a friend of mine uh, and I were talking about like how the fact that like the phrase "How much did that run you?" makes no sense to anybody who doesn't speak fluent English. Yeah, what is the etymology behind that? I wonder. There's all this interesting etymology, right, about yeah. like the things we say we don't think about, the rule of thumb, for instance, or. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, what, what are some of the like, don't look a gift horse in the mouth? It's probably the most famous one. I hate that one. You don't like that one? No, that's an interesting one because I just don't like horses and I don't like yeah. them being involved in anything that has anything to do with me. They're a little unsettling. They're, hei- they're heinous. I worked my first job ever, as I think we've talked about on the show when I was 14, the summer of 2000 was working at uh, stables where I would work amongst the horses. Gross. And it they are scary creatures. And I will tell you this. I used to ride this horse sometimes like after work. And go down these paths on Long Island and stuff. And I was coming back and this horse was riding me right into like this branch. It was like a cartoon, right? <laughs> and I had a duck. The horse would not stop. And when I, I also don't really understand, probably didn't understand what I was doing. I was wearing this Decepticons t-shirt, like with the logo on it. And I went underneath. So this this horse brings me into this branch. I have to duck and like hug the horse to not get caught on this tree. And it grabs the back of my shirt, and like rips it basically off my body. I'll never forget that as long as I live. And that's my horse story. My horse horror story, <laughs> as it were. Uh, Chris, I want to inform the audience. So this is episode 53. Episode 54 next week is going to be a totally normal episode. But next week, we're also going to record episode 55 because I'm going on vacation for a little while. I'm going to go see my family out east and uh, go see Dagan and go see my, my sisters and my mom, etc. So we're going to record a second episode next week that will go live at the normal time. So there will be no disruption as usual. But we're going to do our game of the year so far for episode 55. So that's going to be a kind of a special episode. Yeah. So I just want to let everyone know what's going on. We're not going to have a timely episode that week, but you still have your normal, your normal download. Your, you look forward. Yeah. Please, please look forward to it. It's a good time to put it up anyway. It's yeah. It's like halfway done with the year. It's, it, yeah. The timing seems quite yeah. fortuitous. So I wanted to let everyone know that that was happening. I'm actually going to go away. Chris, I also wanted to just take the time, if I might, mm-hmm. to talk about PlayStation hits. Now, PlayStation hits we've talked about in the past are this or is this line of AAA style games, both digitally and at retail that are at an affordable price. Right. And they're $19.99 each. And by the way, we're not getting sponsored or anything like this for saying this. I just know that the audience is really they you know, you want to pinch some pennies. You want to save some dollars. Sony just announced some new additions to this lineup. So I want to read out the entire lineup of AAA PS4 $19.99. PlayStation hits that you can go get that are affordable in case you're looking to pinch some pennies because this this is a good list of games and, and they're cheap. So just wanted to throw this out there for our audience. 
Lego Batman 3 Beyond Gotham, Lego Jurassic World, Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition, God of War 3 Remastered, Neo, Mad Max, Persona 5, Star Wars Battlefront, Friday the 13th, The Game, Resident Evil 7, The Uncharted Collection, Until Dawn, Batman Arkham Knight, Need for Speed Rivals, EA UFC 2, Dynasty Warriors 8 Extreme Legends, Shadow of Mordor, Need for Speed, Dying Light, Injustice, Gods Among Us, Battlefield Hardline, Dragon Age, Inquisition, Plants vs. Zombies, Garden Warfare 2, Lego Marvel Super Heroes, Earth Defense Force 4.1, Mortal Kombat 10, Street Fighter 5, Bloodborne, Ratchet & Clank, Drive Club, Infamous Second Son, Killzone Shadowfall, Little Big Planet 3, Project Cars, The Last of Us Remastered, Uncharted 4, Thieves End, Battlefield 4, Doom, Yakuza Kiwami, Yakuza 0, and Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain. Pretty good list of games. That's pretty good. Doom and Dying Life for 1999. That's pretty, pretty solid. $19.99 each. So get out there if you're interested. Just wanted to let you guys all know that that has expanded. Joseph LaRusso wrote into us on Patreon, just like you can. Remember, this show is supported on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. You can get early ad-free access to every one of our shows and the ability to submit your inquiries, just like Joseph did. He said, hello, gentlemen, just a correction here for Mr. Raygun. What? CTR Nitro Fuel does have a horn button. It is the circle button when you have no items to use. Keep making Tuesdays great again, and I look forward to double helpings come August. Did I say there wasn't a horn? This appar- You apparently did because I've gotten this feedback from multiple people. A, like huh. I care. Weird. But B, also... Apparently, you did say that. I did notice it immediately. I think I think what it was is like while we were doing the podcast, I was like in the middle of like the the platinum hunt, right? Or like towards the tail end of it, so I wasn't paying much attention to the horn. But I did notice it, and it gave me a, a nice little chuckle. And many congratulations. I was going to save this until we talk about the games we're going to play, but you did. I guess we'll we'll talk about it. Why not talk about it now? Why not? It came up organically. You platinumed. Crash Team Racing in about four days. Yes. And have to be, I haven't looked at PSM profiles, but you must be one of the first people to have planned in the game, I assume. I mean, probably like one of the first 200 or something like that. When, you, when you synced it, was the rarity 0.1%? It was 0.1, yeah. yeah so you, you're probably... I'm probably up there, at yeah. least. I don't expect to be like the first person, <laughs> but like that was pretty, uh, I'm pretty happy about it. Congratulations. Yeah. Now... I'm curious. Actually, let's go to Azan here. By the way, this was all around a bet. Azan is, of course, our listener from Oman, the Middle Eastern <laughs> country. You had made a bet with him about a PlayStation 5 if you weren't able to earn it. Azan wrote it and said, hey, Colin and Chris, hope this post finds you both well. Congratulations, Chris, on getting your second platinum trophy in a nearly record-breaking time. Oman Postal Services will be disappointed for not being able to process a PS5 next year. <laughs> My question, how does it feel to be a trophy hunter for a short period of time instead of being a casual gamer who plays for fun? <laughs> It felt pretty good getting it. I'm not gonna lie. That, that was particularly a challenging one. Like I didn't feel much for the Spider-Man one because the Spider-Man one felt very attainable. Right. But yeah. This that one was an like, easy one. But this yeah. one was like genuinely like bl- finger blisteringly hard. Skill based. Very difficult. Right. It's a hard game by itself. So like, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I probably. And, th- and what's amazing is like apparently I didn't know this while I was doing it. But apparently there's there was a save corruption glitch on PS4. I saw that specifically to do with the time trials. So while I was doing the time trials, there was a there was a chance that I could have lost all that progress. I saw that you definitely dodged a bullet because as well, I think we'll talk about. Did we talk about it last week? I don't know. Yeah, no, I think we did talk about it last week or, a week, or two weeks ago. I I, re, I had a game breaking bug in Bloodstained. It oh, yeah. fucking sucks. Yeah. Now, I couldn't imagine that was only four hours of progress and I got back there in like two hours. So it wasn't the end of the world. But for something like time trials and all this, kind, I would have really felt bad for you, especially because you were actively pursuing this you weren't it was, it was like your job for a few days yeah <laughs> now, I, I for i forwent several broad uh, uh what is it videos now azan <laughs> asks a question that i'm kind of curious about like did this 
did this spark anything in you and liking to trophies and, and being curious? Because you got the platinum in a game you really loved. So like, yeah. is that something you will consider doing with Doom Eternal or whatever? Oh, sure. Yeah. I think it's always going to be the, the games that I really, really gravitate to or the things that I'm really passionate about. I, I mean, I've done this on the 362. They're like mainly with Halo games, but like there's there's a few games that I've just gotten all the achievements in just because like they're games that I really, really like. But it's not the, the idea that I would do it for everything that I play or even the majority of things. No, hell no. Yeah. Stay away from me. You got to pursue. I used to be like that or at least try to be like that. My platinum earning, I think, has slowed down, but I only do it for deliberately for games I like. Yeah. And there have been times where I've chased it. And I've been like, ah, fuck it. Ten years ago or five. No, maybe not ten. Well, maybe ten. Ten years ago, I may, might have felt a little differently about that. Yeah. My goal is to just have my platinum uh, list just be entirely comprised of games that I could recommend to people like without a shadow of a doubt. That's nice. Mine is typically that way now, but not back in the day. I don't recommend that you play Rango on PS3 or uh, <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry box office bust, which is maybe the one of the worst games I've ever played in my life. Greg Horsman wrote into us. I don't know if I think Horsman is right. There's no E. I'd like to think your name is Horseman, <laughs> but I don't think it is. He said, hi, guys, long time listener, first time caller. This one's for Chris. With the release of Crash Team Racing, I'm curious about the difficulty level. You mentioned this was a much more difficult game than most kart racers. My girlfriend rarely plays games, but we do enjoy playing some Lego games and Mario Kart together. I was excited for CTR because I wouldn't have to dust off the Wii U to play Mario Kart and, of course, trophies. I'm a little concerned that CTR may be too difficult for her. Have you played any split screen multiplayer? Do you recommend CTR for the non hardcore gamer? She would only be playing split screen, but it would be no fun for her if the difficulty is too hard. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's still a kart racer at the end of the day. Like, you know, how, how good you are depends on, like, exactly that, how good you are. So, like, I think you could just bump the difficulty down to medium or easy. Maybe easy, because this game's kind of brutal. But easy is going to put you right where Mario Kart is. I don't see why she wouldn't enjoy it in that sense. I have played split screen. I have to do that thing that Dash in The Incredibles does where he just kind of has to slow himself down. Because I can't. I can't play with normal... It's a game that I'm too good at to play with my friends, but not good enough to play competitively. I'm in that weird kind of zone of this limbo Mm. space. But it's a good... uh, Yeah, I I don't see any reason why she wouldn't enjoy it on easy, at least. Can't play with the normies. Can't. Is what you're saying. Can't play with the normies. Can't play with the hardcores. Well, congratulations to Chris. He... Saved himself it. potentially, I think, probably $500 by not having to buy the PS5. We, of course, don't know the price of it yet. But I did break a controller. You did? I did. I, I like, like got so angry that I twisted it and, and shattered it. So Wow, you're so strong. So it did cost. It cost $60 at the cost of like $600 or $500 later on down the line. So yeah, that's good. Very good. Worth it. A few other inquiries and things we need to go over before we get into the, what we're playing otherwise. Zachy wrote into us on Patreon. Now, last week I talked about loot boxes specifically with electronic arts appearing before uk parliament about what's going on with the loot boxes is mm-hmm. it gambling are they predatory etc a lot of people took umbrage with what i had said about it and so i want to at least give someone the ability to present a counter argument here although right. i think that this argument this counter argument was presented by a lot of people a lot of people had a lot of problems with me saying that it's not gambling and people need to be parents and this is really an overblown issue and by the way I stand by all those things but here's what Zachy says he says I have to comment on last week's discussion regarding loot boxes you were both quite dismissive of it of how it could be construed as gambling so let me try and make my counterpoint I don't think I was dismissive I think you saw it to me no you weren't dismissive you didn't agree with I me. think he said you both were dismissive oh did he say that did and, he say- and so yeah you're right yeah. I can't remember anything that I had just said <laughs> I could literally say anything and then it, I had an argument with, or not an argument with Aaron. It was, uh, I said something to Aaron, and she's like, why'd you just say I'm like, I didn't say that. And then I literally remember, I'm like, yeah, I just, just said that. You're having aneurysms. Holy moly. 
He says, number one, you have millions of players in one game mode, much fewer on the rest. This game mode is pay to win after a certain point. As to play at the very top, you must have the best players to compete. Number two, obtaining these players in game is almost impossible due to sub 1% chances of obtaining loot boxes and thousand games per player to obtain through grinding. He's, of course, talking about FIFA here. Number three, kids don't use credit cards. They go to the store to buy points and spend them in game. So parents have no idea that's where the money is gone. Number four, the thrill of packing a top player. I, mean, I think you mean picking a top player who has in reality zero intrinsic value, who will be worthless within 12 months and who due to shady game balancing tech EA owns won't actually help you is the slippery slope of gratification that leads to gambling addicts. I totally, again, reject anything that suggests that people are being enticed to gamble because it's a choice. You know, it's a choice. It's a choice. I don't know if I agree with the slippery slope thing. I don't know if I I don't know if I could really say that it leads to gambling addicts. All I know is that I don't like it and we were better off beforehand. And that's reason enough for me to be against it. Literally, that's literally my only reason. And I think it's valid. You don't need to, like, overblow an issue to make it. You know what it is, which which is shitty. Yeah, I, I see what he's saying in the terms of what Zachy, I assume you're a guy, is saying about. I guess your your point of view or, or your thought process, but I'm a I'm a gambler. I like to gamble, and I go to Vegas multiple times a year. And when I walk into a casino, I understand that the casino exists for one reason: to extract as much money out of me as possible. That's what that's what the casino exists for. Now, I like the casino. I have a lot of fun there, and I gamble, and I sit at the blackjack table, and I meet interesting people, and and go to restaurants and whatever. But at the end of the day, I walk in knowing with with open eyes what's happening and why this is happening. Right. And if you don't walk into situations, whether it's the EA situation or going to Vegas or wherever or Macau and you want to go gamble, then that's your fault. I'm sorry. Like, that's your problem. If I, I don't Vegas manufactures a ton of gambling addicts, you know, and yeah. I don't think that it's Vegas's fault because a lot of people go to Vegas and are able to get out of there. So I think it takes a little bit of self-control. I don't like this. this well, idea. that's true. But, but also kids can't go to Vegas and gamble, I think, is, is the main draw here. That's true. They can go into casinos, which I always found a little weird. But really? no, they can't. Yeah, because that's the other thing I'm always Wait, they confused can go about. In the, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, because we go multiple times a year. There are always kids. So they can just go Vegas. to the casino, but they can't gamble. No, or they can't. They'll, they'll card you. So yeah, what's oh, dude, the point? I don't know why anyone brings their children to Las Vegas. That's I'm just so letting weird. you know. It's, I'm going to Vegas on Wednesday, actually. Oh, that's great. Where For no reason. Where are you staying? Uh, I have no idea. It's like an Airbnb. Oh, ah, see, Vegas is one of the only places you definitely want to stay in a hotel, in my opinion. Yeah. Like in one of the resorts. I love I love like the wind resorts and Encore and all those. Anyway, the point is, is that we have to take a little bit of, I think, an agency over our own choices. And even if kids are going out and buying these like these cards, like who cares? Like, I I just don't get it. I don't Mm. get this argument. I I appreciate the counter argument. I appreciate that a lot of people have taken umbrage with what I said, but I just don't get it. Josiah wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, long time, first time. I just wanted to follow up on a comment that Colin made on the last episode postulating that being a second party studio would be the perfect situation, in quotes, for a developer. While having the benefit of financial security for a project, can't being second party also become an issue if the publisher doesn't want to continue using the IP? For example, I recently pulled the Order 1886 out of my backlog and discovered an amazing world with fantastic lore and characters. While admittedly the game is short and shallow, platinumed in about 10 hours, a follow-up would hopefully improve on the first game's shortcomings, but without Sony's blessing, Ready at Dawn can't make this happen. I personally would love to have Rad take another crack at this IP, as the world alone makes a sequel deserved. Would love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work and keep fucking that chicken dressed furry. Cheers from Boston. It's horrifying. You're right. I mean, this is an interesting counterpoint. Being a second party comes with its deficits as well. Although I guess my counter counter argument would be that uh, Ready at Dawn would have never been able to create the Order 1886 without Sony to begin with. They weren't going to make that. Yeah. 
So they weren't going to be able to fund it themselves. They, also, remember, also they can they can walk away from that game and be like, all right, well, that was that was what that was what it was. Right. And they did. They still exist. And as far as I know, Rad is still a somewhat substantial studio. But remember, they made their money in second party. So I think they're an interesting example and not a great example because they made their money making God of War games on PSP and then Sony trusted them to make the order. So none of that would have happened without that second party relationship. But I do take your point. Dominic Brandt wrote into us and said, Colin and Chris, what are your thoughts on Jason Schreier's new article, The Human Cost of Call of Duty Black Ops 4? I know you both have discussed the topic of crunch ad nauseum, but the t- article's focus on the QA testers are treated like second class citizens brings a bit of a different perspective. Did you read this article, Chris, about? Uh, I had no idea that this was even a thing. So I don't know that we should spend too much time on it, but uh, there was an article that Jason Schreier wrote last week about Call of Duty Black Ops 4, specifically about Treyarch and the way Treyarch, well, Treyarch's a Santa Monica studio, by the way, so right, right in our neighborhood. And how they treat their QA testers Mm -hmm. and how it's a pretty negative place for some people there. And my honest, you know, people should go read it, of course. My honest assessment on this is that I think Jason is uh, is risking jumping the shark now with these kinds of stories, because this story is really a, a much ado about nothing and is basically about how QA testers are treated differently paid differently, segmented from the studio, et cetera, and so on, with all of these really convenient facts buried in the article, which really annoyed the shit out of me, right? Because right. it was basically about how abusive this is, how underpaid they are, how Activision and Treyarch don't treat them right, et cetera. It's like total nonsense. Then you discover a few things in the article. Number one, a Treyarch QA person last year was responsible for one of the biggest leaks in recent history at Treyarch, right? Yeah. So that's number one. A QA person at Treyarch working on Call of Duty leaked a shit ton of stuff. So that wouldn't be a huge surprise if Treyarch wasn't very happy with their QA people. That's number one. That was buried like 18 paragraphs into the article. Number two, Activision and Treyarch don't employ the QA people. Another company employs the QA people. So when there's all this talk about how the QA people have different parking spots and a different parking lot and they're kept in a different building, well, no shit. They're not Activision employees or Treyarch employees. They're employees of a third party that are hired out by Activision. Yeah, I mean, it seems to make sense. The third thing that they took umbrage with was that these people are paid between like 12 and 18 hour dollars an hour, whatever, whatever the case might be. I think it's got to be more than that because of the minimum wage laws. And I'm like, OK, that sucks. They're working. They're being asked to work long hours and all this. That's 15 hour days. That's a long time. Then you learn buried in the article again that they're that between eight and 12 hours. They earn time and a half. And after 12 hours, they earn double time. If I were in that situation, I'd work as much as humanly possible. Oh, yeah, I probably would. Too. You know, <laughs> I probably would, too. So that's that's the third thing. So I really think that this article is incredibly weak. I think Jason is starting to write from a perspective of political ideology and not trying to chase the story for the story. I think he has a push. I think he's trying to push for unionization. I think he's trying to make the situation in the games industry. These developers seem worse than it is. And I think it's getting a little old and a little tired. Write an article unideologically. Present the facts to me as they exist. But this particular situation with QA testers at Treyarch, I don't shed any tears over it. It really seemed much ado about nothing. And if you really read the whole article and put it all together, it really makes you question what is Treyarch and Activision supposed to do? What like they don't have internal QA. They hire these other people. These other people are not trusted because they fucking leaked shit. You yeah. Know? I mean, so it seems it, a little it seems a little bit weird to me. Yeah. Maybe not uh, the best hill. I feel like I don't know. I haven't read it, but like I based on what you're saying, <laughs> it does seem like there's a bit bit of a problem. There. Yeah. I like Jason. I think he's a really great writer. We're a very talented writer. Really. The only reason Kotaku has any relevance whatsoever. But this Kotaku partic- write articles that aren't by Jason. <laughs> no, apparently, but no one reads them. <laughs> the, the big thing. Check about- out the sexy butts on these watermelons. I know. Check. <laughs> that was a real article, by the way. <laughs> there are no black people in The Witcher. That was, always, you know, that's the kind of stuff you get from Kotaku. But then when right. Jason, when Jason jumps in, 
Uh, usually you get something of substance, but there was no substance here. This is really about a person chasing uh, an end goal and actually trying, I think at this point, to maybe conjure it into existence. So, mm, yeah. uh, so I would, so I would be somewhat careful now. I mean, you know, everyone has an off day and a bad day. I've written articles that are terrible. So, right. You know, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm above it or everything we do is, is gold. Most of what we do is gold. What's the opposite of broken clocks? Uh, clocks that function, uh, an atomic clock, I guess. Is, oh yeah, yeah, I guess so. Gross. Finally, Sean McGuire wrote in and said, hey, wondering if you had any insight into why I can't accept other people's affection. <laughs> Am I sabotaging myself because I don't believe I'm worthy of love? Amanda was a great girl, but I pushed her away and then blamed her for leaving. How does that make sense? Whoa. Heavy, dude. Jesus Christ. I don't even know. Is this a PlayStation podcast or is this Dr. Phil? I don't know. Sean, I don't know. Wondering if you had any insight into why I can't accept other people's affection. I don't know. Am I sabotaging myself? Possibly. Yeah, it's possible. Amanda was a great girl. You said yourself, Sean. Amanda was a great girl, but I pushed her away and then blamed her for leaving. People usually sabotage themselves, honestly. Usually doesn't take anybody else to fuck other people over. Yeah, there's a subconscious thing, I think, in relationships, especially where people eventually will, you know, like want to like almost will the other person into breaking up with them or something. You might be in a a similar situation, Sean. It's hard to say. Chris, let's talk about what we're playing. We talked a little bit about Crash Team Racing. It says here yeah. you're also playing Sekiro, so I'm wondering how's that going? Yeah, I'm trying to get back into it because I put it down for a while, and I, I, I've i heard it's not really that long of a game, and I really should just be done with it by now. Because everybody's like, did you finish Sekiro? I was like, no, I haven't. So I'm just going back into it. My muscle memory is destroyed. I'm terrible at it now. So you remember. can't stop. You got to start from the beginning. I, yeah, exactly. I got to start from the beginning, which admittedly is probably going to be a lot easier than the first time because I just know the maps a little bit better, but... Yeah, I'm probably going to have to restart it at this point because there's no way that I can <laughs> organically fight the things that I'm trying to fight right now. Understood. I'm playing Bloodstained. Not much more to report on it. I'm right at the end, so I'm now just grinding out trophies. The, the last boss, there's like a few hidden bosses and secret bosses. Some of them are pretty hard. Uh, so I'm trying to just level up and get my guy better or my girl, I should say. It's Miriam. So great game. Bloodstained is one of the great games of the year for sure. Uh, definitely warmed up to it the more I played it. And there's a lot of really clever stuff. I think it's a little on the nose, a little too on the nose uh, with Symphony of the Night, like in millions of ways. Like Like there's just like a lot of homages that are a bit bit too homage. I can feel it. I can dig it, you know, but it's a little much. Is there terrible voice acting on purpose? Uh, The voice acting is better. Actually, what's the guy's name that played Solid Snake? Why can't I think of him? David Hayter? Yeah, he's one of the he's. uh, Oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw he tweeted out a video of it. It's just Solid Snake. Yeah, it's just him (laughs) playing Solid Snake. It's, which it's is fun. perfect, by the way. It's great. It's like H. John Benjamin. You don't want H. John Benjamin to sound like anything other than H. John Benjamin. Indeed. Uh, I consider I continue to play Persona 4 Golden, just kind of slowly going through that. I, I was talking to someone about it the, a couple days ago. It's fun and it's good, but it really is convoluted. And I'm, I, I really I don't see what makes this so great. More like, like that's Persona the thing that I'm missing. 4 Gold Dumb. Oh, so, yeah, I'm glad I'm playing and I want to continue to play it. But it's not this like revolutionary thing. I don't like I, I there are many better JRPGs than Persona 4 Gold and I'm, I'm confident saying that after 20 hours with the game but I like it I'm glad that I'm playing it and uh, I went back to Resident Evil 2 because my brother and I are doing a knockback on this uh, next week and or putting it up next week I think and uh, I never beat the new one I just stopped near the end so I started a new one oh, yeah, I play, me neither actually I played as Leon and mm. so I just went back and started again with Claire there's something even funnier about Claire's story than there is about Leon's because I, I actually did a let's play about how Leon is like completely oblivious to everything that's going on around him. <laughs> like he pulls up and starts putting gas in his Jeep at the beginning and there's just like yeah. a cop car with blood all over it and shit. And he doesn't realize it. Similar thing happens in the beginning with Claire where she's at like a phone booth and she doesn't see that there's like it's just very campy and weird, but fun game, high production value. And uh, I think actually one of the great games of the year. Yeah. 
it's kind of wild that there's so many like uh, over the last couple years, especially like the last two or three years, remakes have been pretty great because they went from being just kind of okay for a while. Like ah, that was fine, you know. Uh, Shadow of the Colossus, that was yeah, that was Shadow of the Colossus, I guess. Right. You know, but now they're like actually solid. Yeah. Like Resident Evil Two is amazing. Yeah. And CTR is like wild. Yeah. Capcom's doing a nice job. Activision, like you said, doing a nice job. I think we've gotten a little liberal with the use of, or I guess maybe not liberal, but the term remake, remaster, re-release, port, yeah. these are all like convoluted things. But CTR and and Spyro and and Resident Evil 2, these are real remakes. And they're, yeah. and they're actually like real high quality remakes. You, you To your point, you don't often see that. And so, yeah, we, I think yeah, we got cool. up, we got like remasters for a while. And I think that's what it is. Like mm. a lot of up reses. Which is like, hey, here's the same thing, but it looks not like a watercolor painting anymore. Right. <laughs> this is basically what we got for a while. Precisely. So enjoying those games, much more to play. Am traveling a little bit, so I downloaded a few new Vita games that I'm going to mess around with. There's a game called Kid Trip that looks pretty cool that I downloaded. By the way, on Vita, the, the Vita store is so bad. Like when you go <laughs> when you go to new releases, it doesn't really even, it doesn't even show you like half the games that came out. Of like, I don't really know what's going on here. I have to go to PSN profiles and organize things by Vita and then the newest games by trophies. That's how I figure out what games went up. Like, that's not good. That's way more effort than most. No one's doing that. Yeah, no one's going to do that. So just be honest. And tell, like, it's so sad. It's shovelware, right? Basically, at this point, I think it's pretty a, a lot, lot of shovelware. It it's like a machine. A lot of it but, is. Some of it is. And that's the sad thing is, is that like the games I bought, I bought uh, Kid Trip and something else. Oh, Furwind. These are both look like good games. Oh, yeah. Games. No, I don't mean the games. Yeah. I mean, like just the store and like the store oh, yeah. is like this kind of like a It's like going back to like one of those like uh, sites from like Amish Donkey or something like one of those old ass <laughs> meme sites. It's there's definitely something amiss with uh, the way it's all run. Yeah. But you're right. There is a lot of there is a lot of shovelware though because that fucking one one publisher, uh, Rataka or whatever they're called, release a game every week on Vita and PS4 with a fucking twenty minute platinum week in week out week in week out week in week out horrible. And those games, by the way, are easy to find on the store. But I won't play them because I'm not a fucking loser. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home. It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chris, let's get into the news. All righty. The first item is actually based on a Wall Street Journal article. And instead mm. of just talking, usually I sit down and reduce everything and try to just, you know, I read it. That's when I write the show. But this week, Chris, uh, I showed you, you read it yourself. We're going to go over this Wall Street Journal article from June 30th. Uh, or actually, it technically went up in June 29th, I guess, uh, in the morning. Takashi, uh, Takahashi, I'm sorry. 
Takashi Mochizuki, I want to get that right, Wall Street Journal uh, writer in Japan who writes a lot about Sony and a lot about Japanese technology. The article is called Sony Positions Next PlayStation for Hardcore Gamers. The subhead is new console expected during 2020 holidays will feature sharper graphics and well-known games to help to help separate from rivals. Now, there's a lot in this article. It's so funny to the way games media works where I was looking at their stories. They literally got like nine stories out of this thing. It seemed like a real waste. <laughs> so let's go over it. All right. And read it as we go. And then there's like probably five segments of this that I think we should talk about. Yeah. Okay. They're interesting ones. So here's what it says. Sony Corp's next generation PlayStation is still more than a year away, but its marketing strategy against newcomers like Google is already clear. Focus on hardcore gamers who obsess over the latest features. Sony chief executive Kenichiro Yoshida has even called the PlayStation a niche product aimed at serious players. Quote, details when making games have become more important than ever. He, uh, end quote. He said at a recent company strategy briefing, the company talked about the specs of the next PlayStation, such as ray tracing, which is used for optical effects, such as a showing the play of light on characters faces when they move about a candlelit room. All right. So let's stop there. Yeah. What do you think? about what has already been said. The important things here, focus on hardcore gamers who obsess over the latest features. Quote, details when making games have become more important than ever. Yeah, do you think... I don't know. Do you think that they're kind of setting themselves up because they know that the PS4 was so wildly successful that they kind of understand that it's going to be a shot in the dark that the PS5 is going to sell nearly as well. I think so. They're like, so, yeah. uh, we're aiming smaller. If we sell less, it's not a failure. It's just, you know, we're aiming smaller. I That's think, kind yeah, of what yeah. I felt immediately when I read it. Mm. I think you're probably right. Yeah, setting expectations. Because I think that this speaks, Chris, to the challenge that they know they're going to face too about just getting people off of PS4. Yeah. I think that they're going to have a problem with that. And especially if it's going to, especially if the PS4 and the PS4 Pro are just going to run you know, kind of shittier running versions of stuff that's already available on like the PS5 when it launches, which is probably the case. Yeah, I would say probable. So they're talking again a lot about ray tracing. Why is this such a big this is like the big buzzword now. Ray tracing. It's a big thing in, in like PC and like with the modern graphics cards. It's it's it, it, it's it looks amazing, but it's not something that I don't know. It's not something that I would necessarily focus on but i guess that's them doubling down on the fact that this is a hardcore detail that only people who are really serious about this kind of thing are going to even know about or let alone pay attention to so i guess it's them kind of doubling down on it just by mentioning it i think yeah it seems to me you're probably right it seems that it's the case that much what's a good example like uh blast processing or something like that it seems like it's a they're trying to nail this into people's heads that yeah. this is going to be like a thing. Yeah, like the Xbox 360 didn't launch and was like, we got bump maps, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they didn't say that. That was this. This language is very uh, tailored. Indeed. Starting to get it subconsciously into our minds. Once a side project for the Tokyo Electronics Maker, this, the article continues, the PlayStation has become Sony's flagship consumer product. In the most recent fiscal year, the PlayStation unit, including services like video game subscriptions, led Sony units with more than $21 billion in revenue and nearly $3 billion in operating profit. This is why the still unnamed fifth generation PlayStation, which analysts expect to be ready by the holiday of 2020, is central to the company's outlook. So what people can't see here is that there's a chart, which is really interesting, a line chart of showing that Sony is becoming increasingly reliant on PlayStation. Yeah. They made almost twice as much revenue off of PlayStation last year than they did five years ago while everything else is flat. So Sony is becoming a PlayStation first company, 
which is not a huge surprise, but something that is basically confirmed here now. Yeah. Well, they've they've just sort of lost a lot of footing on pretty much every other front. Like their TVs aren't nearly as good as competitors now. Like LG and Samsung, are, I think, are at like the top of that game now. And uh, <laughs> movies are like kind of all over the place because <laughs> you the, didn't they make uh, Ghostbusters? That the, the yeah, I think that was a Sony picture. Yep. Yeah. I guess they have the occasional Spider-Verse in there, but. So this is only interesting from a business point of view, just that they have much more riding on PlayStation now, mm-hmm. on PS5 than they did on PS4. I think this is relevant because I think that they're making much more deliberate decisions. So anyone that is worried about the things we're going to talk about here, and there's reason to worry about some of it as you move forward, it's still they still strike me as a company that is in control and realizes that their, their bread is being buttered by the specific product. The article continues, Chris. The PlayStation 5, or whatever Sony chooses to call it, won't have the field to itself. Alphabet Inc.'s Google is pitching a new service called Stadia starting in November, while Apple Inc. plans a new video game service in the fall called Apple Arcade. Stadia focuses on games that can be streamed from the cloud and don't require expensive new hardware. Microsoft Corp. already has announced a holiday 2020 date for its next generation Xbox. Sony sees Microsoft as its main competitor in the next generation, with Google a potential threat in the mid to long term as Internet technology advances, one company official said. Nintendo Co. isn't perceived as a major rival, the person said, because its main users tend to be younger than PlayStation's core demographic. So let's stop there. That's interesting. I guess it really I guess that really is the case, though, because the Switch is kind of a supplementary console. It's like something you have with something else. Yes. And most people have a Switch in addition to like maybe an Xbox or a PS4. There's that. And I think that the younger the younger core demographic, which I'm sure the stats do play out, just means that they probably have less money. So even if you mm-hmm. get the switch into their hands and you get a PS4 into some older person's hands, the older person probably has more disposable income to spend on the games, which is where the money is made. So I think this is interesting. But some people took this really weirdly. They're saying Xbox is their competitor. They're not incredibly worried about Google, which I don't think they should be. And they're not worried about Nintendo at all. Uh, so that's what we got out of that. Why do they think that's weird? Well, I think that my, the Xbox competition, I think, seems to make sense. But I think some people think writing Google off, which they're not, they, they talk about them later in this. and We'll talk about that again, mm-hmm. is maybe not wise. But I think also people were offended by their kind of, you know, poo-pooing of Nintendo. But I don't think that that's what they mean. I think what they're so I said they don't go after the same demographics, really. No, exactly. That's the thing. And I said this to someone on Twitter. I'm like, I think you're interpreting this as them saying, fuck Nintendo. They're not a competitor. What they're saying is, is that. Nintendo is not going after the same market we're going after, so we're not going to compete with them. You know, that's different. Yeah. So I think that people need to cool it a little bit with that. Let's continue. Sure. PlayStation has been one of the most successful mass market products of the past quarter century. The PlayStation 4 alone is expected to pass 100 million units this year. Sony's latest thinking puts less stress on overall sales numbers and more on the most profitable segments of the market. The devoted fans who buy big budget titles such as Bethesda Softworks Fallout series and Take-Two Interactive's Red Dead Redemption. A second Sony official said the company believes people buy a video game console to play graphics heavy games. The strategy partly resembles that of Hollywood Studios, including Sony's own Sony Pictures, which had tried to counteract the flood of free video entertainment available on the Internet with a handful of blockbuster franchises such as Spider-Man. So we can stop there. Mm -hmm. Sony is doubling down, it sounds like, and we're going to get way more into this on big games. And they say here a second Sony official said the company believes people buy a video game console to play graphics-heavy games. Now, that's not true for me. I, I I don't care so much about the graphics, but this is probably true for a lot of people. What do you think? I think it's probably accurate, yeah. I mean, I, there's a reason why, especially like back in the day, you'd, you'd obviously play something on a console over like a mobile game. You know, even if there was a mobile game that played particularly well, it's just like the consoles are seen like, seen like a bit 
more of a hardcore thing. Obviously, PC is like way hardcore. But I, I do think it's interesting to say that now in an environment where PCs are so commonplace and readily available and like the access to them is so much easier than they used to be. That's an interesting statement. The le- their whole strategy, as we're going to find out, is less is more, which I think has been clearly their strategy for much of this generation. But now I think they're putting it on paper a little bit more. Or I guess these sources are putting it on paper. Yeah. So I, I guess it means like just fewer games. Yes. Right. That's what that means. Well, which is an interesting that's an interesting strategy, I guess. Well, let's learn more here. Yeah. The article continues. Sony is concentrating its attention on large software publishers as it gets ready for the next PlayStation, according to executives at Sony and software makers. In general, publishers want their games on multiple platforms to maximize sales, while console makers look to make deals for exclusive content or an initial period of exclusive sales. Some executives at smaller game makers said they have felt snubbed by Sony, in contrast to Nintendo. At the Tokyo Game Show in September, Nintendo is supporting events to showcase independent game developers. Sony used to do the same, but isn't planning to this year, the first Sony official said. Sony still welcomes games from independent studios, the first Sony official said, but the emphasis is on strengthening relationships with large publishers since resources are limited. The thinking is, the official said, that people buy a console to play high-quality games available only on that platform, not smaller games also available on smartphones. This is probably the most consequential part of the article so far. So to reduce this to people, what they're basic, this to me, and I think a lot of people have read this, says that Sony is chasing third party exclusives. Now, this is incredibly ironic because we just talked about this, I think, one or two weeks ago (laughs) about the death of third party exclusives. But that's what I get out of it. It says, in general, publishers want their games on multiple platforms to maximize sales, while console makers look to make deals for exclusive content or an initial period of exclusive sales. And that's coupled with the fact that Sony is apparently snubbing smaller studios and smaller publishers for relationships with bigger studios and bigger publishers. And I can verify that that's what I have been told for a long time. That, yeah. And I think I've talked about this on the show, that indie developers, smaller developers, people who have sold millions of games potentially on PSN and on PlayStation feel like they have no relationship with Sony anymore. So there's that. What do you think about this? Strengthening the relationships with large publishers, but it's coming at the sake of relationships with small publishers and small developers that Nintendo is now cultivating. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess that's just like the trade, right? <laughs> Nintendo's just going to pick up where they're slacking. And I guess that's just kind of the nature of it. Like, I, I don't necessarily think I think it's ne- like a negative or a positive. Because it just feels like, especially now with the way the PSN is now, <laughs> I feel like we're just getting a lot of bullshit anyway. I feel like I would like to see a slowdown, you know? I still think it comes down to curation, though. This is the thing that bothers me. Someone had brought up a good point online. I don't know where oh, I read it. Oh, I'm sure it. it comes down to curation. But like, why? Because you're strengthening your big relationships why does that mean you can't strengthen your smaller relationships that's the thing i'm confused about the people that release smaller games like there's a game we'll talk about it a little while there's a game coming out that was just announced that's coming out next week that looks awesome and no one no one published anything about it there's no story about it anywhere like why why are they focusing so much on the big guys i know those games sell and that they do well but certainly people need games to play in between and if you just had a better curated more high quality storefront People would buy and care about these games. So it just takes effort. And that's the big thing I'm confused about. Mm-hmm. Cool. Go go cultivate your relationship with EA and, and Rockstar and Maybe shit. they don't think it's worth it. Maybe. I mean, clearly. Well, I mean, I, that seems right? to be clearly. It's, be. it's like, why? I think they're wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> they are wrong. But like, I think I think they're in the. Well, they said it in the beginning. They're like, this is a niche. They, they want this to be a niche thing. I feel like that means there's just going to be fewer things on the store in general. And we're just going to get far less content, which is kind of interesting. 
it's a weird way to go. I would like less content. We've said that for a yeah, long yeah. time, but I, I just I don't know that that's going to be the end result. What I think is, is that there's just going to be an open storefront for anyone to publish anything. And Sony doesn't even feel like trying to wrap their mind around what it would look like to clean the shit up. Yeah, because if I were them, not only would I clean it up, I would probably delete shit tons of games off the off the PSN. Oh, for sure. You know, I would probably be like, listen, we're having an audit of all this stuff. And a lot of this stuff is going away. If you bought the game, you can still access it, but we're and, not even going to sell it. And anymore. Microsoft is going to take full advantage of that, by the way. I would imagine. So why not? You have to remember, P- PlayStation loves indies was like a thing in 2011, 2012, yeah. 2013, 2014. They had entire showcases and they introduced a shit ton of great indie games to the world, not only from second party like Housemarque's games, but third party games like Mercenary Kings and all these games were on PS4 first. These are fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. They had entire layouts at E3 and a GDC and a TGS. They were at those at those shows. And it's just sad that for someone like me that doesn't necessarily want the big budget games all the time yeah. or usually... I don't know that they're speaking to me that much or they, they intend on speaking to me that much. I think this is just their strategy. I mean, remember last year's E3 was four games, <laughs> which is insane, actually, for real. Mm. They broke it up with those nice little performances on the flute, though. Uh, the flute. Let's continue. Google has said its cloud-based Stadia service will go beyond the boundaries of traditional consoles. Speaking to game developers in March, Maj Bakar, Stadia's vice president of engineering, said, quote, you're used to being forced to tone down your creative ambitions that are limited by the hardware. But our vision with Stadia is that the processing resources available will scale up to match your imagination, end quote. Sony says a high-powered machine in the home will still be necessary to run the latest graphics stably because cloud services rely on sometimes bulky internet connections. The next PlayStation will be capable of processing 8K ultra-high-definition graphics, said the, PlayStation, uh, you, uh, said the PlayStation chief Jim Ryan in May. Mr. Yoshida, the Sony CEO, described the fifth-generation PlayStation as, quote, dramatically increasing the graphics rendering speed, end quote, and said the change, quote, clearly demonstrates why it makes sense to have a next-generation console, end quote. To me, they don't seem to be speaking about much of anything that is actually selling this unit. Mm -hmm. This actually, all of this actually makes me less excited about the PlayStation 5 because it seems like they're having a hard time justifying it themselves. You know, like, again, even at the end, it's going back to like graphics rendering speed clearly demonstrates. I don't know that it clearly demonstrates anything, to be honest. I don't know that better graphics demonstrate shit. Well, I think it means like the 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 way the the, the Spider Man demo worked, like the way that like load uh, like load times and and seamless transitions between open world sections, and you know probably pro- it's probably more akin to that. I would hope so. Yeah. And finally, Chris, it says Sony is also looking to make more big budget games at its in-house software studios, which already produce exclusive PlayStation games. Hideki Yasuda, an analyst at Ace Research Institute, said he believes Sony's stress on the large budget games could lessen variety and lead some customers to switch to rivals such as Nintendo. In contrast, the second Sony official said he expected smaller games would still be released for the PlayStation, even without extensive Sony support, because the popularity of PlayStation makes the platform hard for smaller game developers to ignore. Yeah. I mean, oh, I don't know. It's true, but I I don't know that that sounds very good. That's it doesn't sound very good, but it's not (laughs) wrong. It's not inaccurate, you know. You're definitely going to want to be on the PlayStation. So that's the article. There's a lot in there. A lot to marinate over. I'm not sure that we have much more to say about it, but I did want to bring it up. It's a great piece of journalism. And since we always shit on journalists and journalism because they usually don't (laughs) do a very good job, we might as well give credence to a great story. So again, if you want to read what we just read, Wall Street Journal, Sony positions next PlayStation for hardcore gamers by Takashi Mochizuki. Published on June 29th, probably the most insight we've gotten in the PS5 yet. Yeah. And I assume that these kinds of things will continue to flow out uh, and props to him for using sources because none of that came from Sony itself. So that's that. Chris, any closing thoughts before we move on? I think it's interesting that they wrote off Google. 
like in in that way, in the way that they did. Yeah, they say the mid to long term they're worried about. Cool. Yeah, which I guess is fa- I, honestly like <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think they have a cl- they don't have a snowball's chance. I don't think. I don't, I don't think, so think people are even remotely excited about this. No, no one's excited about. Well, I don't want to say no one. That's that's hyperbolic. But well, well, people are excited about it in the sense that it's new and interesting. But like, as far as like on the consumer end, I just I can't imagine wanting to pay full price for a game that I not only can't download and install and own, but can only stream. It's insane. It seems. Listen, it seems inevitable. What's going to happen to Stadia? It's well, <laughs> unless they really well, the hold on. Like, well, the thing is, like Microsoft's doing this X Cloud thing, which is the same thing, but you can install them, which is like way better. Like I'm way more likely to try that out than something that like what am I going to pay just for the right to stream something? Yeah, it seems like a half step to me too. It reminds me a lot of Steam or Valve with the Steam Box, where yeah. they just didn't want to do it themselves. They they were like, "Fuck it, you can do it." And 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 if you're going to do that, if you're going to take a half step then don't step in. What happened to Steam machines? Literally nothing, right? So the the same thing happens with Stadia. If Google wants to get in, then get the fuck in. Make a hardware, make a piece of hardware, a console that plays games. You could download things. If you don't want to get in, get out. You know, that's my whole thing. It's it's a total half step. Yeah. And they're going to get fucking kicked in the face. I'm telling you. Like, like, it's, I will be shocked if this thing does anything better than not good at all. You know? Yeah. There seems to be no excitement about it. People seem to hate something new about it every time they announce something about it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Google's forward thinking. That's great. But, you know, there were VR machines in the 90s. Yeah. People forget about they that. They have so. the right idea. It's just like I, I just think the way they're implementing it is, is completely fucked. And also it's just not we, I, don't, I just don't think we're ready for it at all. So I don't know. We'll see. No. Uh, Maybe we'll be proven wrong. Who knows? We're definitely not ready for it in terms of infrastructure. That's for sure. Number two. July's free PlayStation Plus games have been revealed, and they're not all that compelling. (laughs) Pro Evolution Soccer 2019 and Retro Racer Horizon Chase Turbo are the free PS Plus games for the month and will be available for the duration of July. All you need is an active PlayStation Plus account to grab these games. Remember, even if you don't intend on playing these games now or potentially ever, it doesn't hurt to to come on the PlayStation Store and add them to your download list in case you change your mind later. This is arguably the worst PlayStation Plus games lineup since the launch of PlayStation Plus. (laughs) Jeff Scott wrote into us and said, hey, guys, is it just me or are we way too entitled when it comes to our free PS Plus games each month? Every month when they get announced, the comments are overwhelmingly negative. You're telling me that out of the 24 games you get a year, you can't seem to find $60 worth of value. Just this year, we've gotten the complete first season of Hitman, Modern Warfare Remastered, Sonic Mania, and Borderlands, the handsome collection, to name just a few. I'm not trying to sound like a corporate apologist because I agree we've gotten more than a few shitty months of games, including this month. But are we expecting too much out of the free games every yeah, month? Yeah, I mean, there's only so many games you can really... There's really so many so many games that exist, uh, let alone ones that you could just give away for a subscription. I, I think that's true, but also it's like... I don't know, you can't help but be disappointed in something if it's if it's just disappointing. Like, it doesn't matter if it, it there's a rationale behind it. It's just the immediate assumption is, well, the immediate feeling is that's disappointing. Yeah, I think it's a visceral thing for a lot of us. I yeah. agree, actually. Maybe we are coming becoming a little bit entitled. Can you find $60 in value out of 24 free games? Of course. Yeah. Right? I don't think that anyone's denying that. But I think that Sony needs to be better about aiming at a cross-section of gamers that makes a little more sense than a soccer game and like a little indie r- racing game that's not good enough right like yeah i know soccer is you know it's it's i think i think the world women's world cup's going on maybe they're trying to take advantage of that the other important thing to note is that these are deals with sony and publishers where they're paid a lump sum for their games so there might be a, not a lot of interest from some people p- put their game on 
uh, an anecdotal piece of information on Xbox was that I knew a guy years ago who had uh, who was privy at a company to a company that was lo offered low seven figures for their brand new game on Xbox Live Games for Gold. And they were like, no, we'll sell more if we sell the game. And so they resisted and then they sold only like 50,000 copies and made way less than they were offered. So this is a gamble. And Sony still won't overtly talk about the deals, although I know about some of them because people talk to me about them. But the situation as it stands, I think Jeff might be right, Chris. Maybe we are getting a little too entitled, but I think when a bad lineup is bad, we should call it bad. And remember, you said 24 free games a month. Remember that we used to get, what, 30? What was it? No, we would get three times that. So that's, what, 72 I games mean, hell, a I, year? I remember paying, what, like $50 a year on Xbox Live just for the privilege of playing online. So, like, I don't know. Anything is better, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a pretty bad lineup, objectively. They have to do better. You know what I would really love to see, Chris, when PS5 comes out is for them to say, listen, we're going to do three games a month. We're going to do a PS5 game. We're going to do a PS4 game. We're going to do a VR game. And like that, that's the weird thing that I think is missing. Don't you think? Why not put a VR game in there every month? Yeah. Get people that like you're talking about all these free games. Well, put 12 free VR games in your download list every year. And then before you know it, someone's like, shit, like I have all these VR games. I might as well go buy a VR unit. Yeah. So it seems like they're not really using it wisely. You know, like it's not. They, what do they say? Did they have like something like 80 million people using the subscription service? I feel like they're not even at, really at $60 a year. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, feel like they, I feel like they're not even really paying attention to the ecosystem at all, given like all the freaking given all the crap that's on the download queue, like all the stuff that's like in the store every day, every week. I feel like they're barely even paying attention to it. No, I don't think anyone's paying attention to much of anything over, anymore over there. If I ran it, it would be a lot better. They're too busy focusing on ray tracing. <laughs> got to get that ray tracing. The load times are really impressive. Got to trace guys. that ray. You have got to see, keep talking about the load times because that's the coolest part. Keep talking about that. It kind of is, though. <laughs> it definitely is. It's super fucking cool. Remember, we talked about how Shadowfall instantly loaded when you put it in and that was the last game to do that. And it was a fucking launch game. It's like, what is going on? I don't know. All right, Chris, let's move on. I'm getting upset. Number three, The Walking Dead, the game, the first season of which was released back in 2012 and developed by the now defunct team at Telltale Games, is getting a definitive edition via its new publisher, Walking Dead IP owner, Skybound Entertainment. Oh, I, thought, I thought the name of the publisher was Walking Dead IP owner for a second. Uh, <laughs> no, Skybound, of course, for people that don't know, yeah. is the owner of the IP, and they came in and kind of saved the end of the season four when, when Telltale went tits up. <laughs> I love that term. The Telltale Definitive Edition, I'm sorry, the Telltale Divinit Definitive Series comes with all four episodic seasons as well as the 400 Days and Michonne DLC, so you can play it from front to back. There's nothing missing. Skybound promises graphical updates to the older seasons as well as bonuses like behind-the-scenes footage and even gameplay updates. The collection will come to PS4 and elsewhere on September 10th of this year. I'm pretty excited about that, actually, because I didn't even play the second season. I played 400 Days. That's the last time I played. Yeah. So it might be time for me to go in. Maybe. And see what the fuck's going on with, what's that little girl's name? Clementine. Clementine, right. What's going on with Clementine? I remember everyone used to wear those hats. They like gave them away and everyone had those hats. Oh, on. yeah. God, that, sh that that IP just makes me upset, though. Just the show. Yeah, the TV tape. show is supposed to be awful. It's horrendous. I stopped after like the third season. I couldn't take it anymore. It's like all the worst seasons of Dexter, basically. Oh, I stopped watching Dexter as well. Oh, you're Why lucky. is it that there are so many great ideas for shows and they just can't execute on them? It's the same thing with that show Designated Survivor. It doesn't that last too up. long, I think, a lot of the cases. Dude, I never tried to like a show more than Designated Survivor. I just want everyone to know that. What is that? It's the show. Uh, I, I can't even think of the guy's name. He's famous. 
it's a show about like how the how the government, the U.S. government's attacked and everyone's killed except for like the uh, the housing and human or, you know, development secretary. And he becomes president. Oh, you talked. Yeah, yeah. we talked about this before. OK, it's terrible. I can't remember anything I talked about. So that's not a surprise. Number four. Remedy Entertainment, the Finnish team most notable for its Xbox exclusives Alan Wake and Quantum Break, as well as the original Max Payne games, has officially acquired the rights to its Alan Wake IP, which were previously owned by Microsoft. Word comes by way of a press release from the dev that made note of this in regard to fluctuations on its balance sheet as a result of the publishing rights acquisition. This means that Remedy's Alan Wake games, of which there are two on Xbox 360, could conceivably come to PlayStation 4 and other platforms in the future. There are, however, no concrete plans as of yet. Something's going on with Remedy and Sony. That would be great, by the way. Something's going on with Alan Wake is great. I love Alan Wake a lot, but Remedy's I love Remedy in general, so. Yeah, it's, it's good news. Control is coming out this summer. Oh, yeah. That's their new game. Now, Sony... I don't know. Something's up with Sony and Remedy, like yeah. for sure. I don't know if it's like they're talking about a second party relationship. If this is a studio that's going to be acquired, I think that would be a bad idea, by the way, if that happened, because I don't think Sony needs them. I think they they already have. It's like we already have a George, you know, like we already we, we already <laughs> we already like how many Georges do you need? It all comes back to Seinfeld. Right, exactly. So, but yeah, it's it's another uh, narrative driven third person action. I don't think it's like they the last it. thing they need. I don't think they need it. But there, there's something weird going on with them because Sony is really behind control. They're tweeting about it. The guys are at the studio in Finland. It's not, it's not a trivial thing to get to Helsinki. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's a little. It's a. I'm gonna keep a close eye on what's going on with this, with this whole thing because I'm a little nervous actually that they might I, buy them. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I like Remedy. I think that that would be a nice way to like poke Microsoft in the eye a little bit. But that's about, that's about it. I mean. You don't you have three studios at least that make better games than of the type of game that Remedy makes. You already own them. Naughty Dog makes better games of the same type. You mm-hmm. know, Santa Monica makes now the same games, better games of the same third person action. Gorilla has both shooting and third person action mm-hmm. experience. I don't know that you need a Remedy like the studios. You you need like a racing another racing team, probably like or a, you already have Polyphony, but they never release any games. So you're going to need someone to or like an Ori team. Yeah, you need some indie, you know, indie devs because there are there is some talk. Jim Ryan gave a speech to Nikai, I think, which is a Japanese newspaper for people that don't know. I didn't write it up because he didn't say too much, but basically left the door open being like, we are interested in acquiring studios. Well, of course they are. Please don't acquire Remedy. You know, like you don't. No offense yeah, to them. I, I you would, don't need them. I would prefer Remedy puts their games everywhere because they're all pretty good. Like, I don't see the re- a reason why they should be stranded on <laughs> hardware. You don't see it. I'm just so I don't know, man. It's just like my conspiracy theory shit is churning like them getting the IP back and all this. It's I don't know. It seems a little weird to me. All of it. Mm -hmm. I think they also own Quantum Break. So I don't think that they needed to get it back. I think so. Yeah, they probably do. Because the, the whole publishing relationship with Microsoft changed. Remember that for people that don't know the reason. So Sony had no power over indies and any developers back in the PS3 era because they wanted to own the IP. The famous story is that they actually had Limbo pitched to them. And they were like, yeah, we'll publish Limbo. We want the IP. And that's why Limbo came to PlayStation last. Right. So now that the whole situation has changed where IP control is much more important. This is why Insomniac got in bed with Xbox for Sunset Overdrive, because if they made Sunset Overdrive for Sony, Sony was going to take it. Right. So this this creates a different kind of relationship. But now with this, I wonder if studios are becoming more interested, interested in acquisitions once they acquire all their IP. So you're not only buying the talent. But you're buying the potential of a sequel to Alan Wake. You're buying the potential of re-releases. Maybe. Stripping these games off of competitors' storefronts, which is something Sony would probably do. Microsoft doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I don't know. Do you think Sony would do that? They would do like an epic kind of deal where they would just like take Here's my of- thing about this. I don't know why you wouldn't. 
Like that at this point in time, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. It's the same thing I've said a million times with Minecraft. There's no reason Minecraft should be on PlayStation. It's actually insane. You know, like if if you said like you can't play it there, you know, like I think it's a gamble. I think that both sides have their rights and their wrongs or ups and their downs. But if I were in charge, I'd be like our games are our games and we're going to and you're going to play them on our hardware, you know, and we'll switch when the yeah. time comes. But I don't know that the switch is yet because if they let's just say they acquire Remedy. And now Alan Wake's a Sony game, technically. They're going to now allow this game to just sit on their competitors. I'm not saying Alan Wake, anyone gives a shit, but I don't know. I, I don't know that it's time yet to be friendly. I think soon, but not yet. Maybe. I don't know. It's all about timing, Chris. I would not take Minecraft off of competitors. I would not. Maybe that's a bad example because it's so popular. Money. But I find, I, or like don't update it or just like have a legacy edition or something. You know, do something. That's what it. they do, though. But they only do that with PS3 and Vita. They still update the PS4 one, you know, like. Do they update the, the PS4 ones. one? Yeah. The Minecraft? Yeah. Hmm. Because an old studio, I, I can't remember the name of the studio, uh, Fort, what were they called? It's not 4A. 3, 3, 3, I don't know what the fuck it was called. There was a studio that was responsible for the Legacy Editions, and they announced I was recently that they're not updating them anymore. Yeah. So PS3 and Vita are stranded now, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. You guys can write in and tell me. Chris thinks I'm wrong. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Number five, let's get into some politics. Oh, boy. Yay. It's not that bad. <laughs> no, I know. In a letter dated June 17th, 2019, a letter that only more recently became available, Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony wrote a unified letter to Joseph Barloon, the general counsel of the Office of the United States Trade Representative in Washington, D.C. The reason this otherwise boring letter is notable, however, is because it deals directly with potential trade tariffs and how they might affect the gaming industry, particularly in the cost to manufacture hardware and how much that hardware, hardware will in turn cost the consumer. The letter puts forth that tariffs on video game consoles, which could find their way into the finalized tariff list in regard to the creation of various goods in China, would, quote, injure consumers, video game developers, and console manufacturers, put thousands of high-value rewarding U.S. jobs at risk, and stifle innovation in our industry and beyond, end quote. The letter later notes that, quote, economically, the video game industry contributes substantially to the U.S. economy, and its year-on-year -year growth is impressive. The U.S. video game industry generated total revenue of $36 billion in 2017 <laughs> and $43.4 billion in 2018, reflecting over 20% year-on-year growth. The industry directly and indirectly employs more than 220,000 people in America. 99.7% of video game companies qualify as small businesses, like mine, and can be found in each of the 50 states, end quote. The letter states that in 2018 in the U.S. alone, the co-signed company sold 15 million video game consoles, but that margins are razor thin, particularly with next generation around the corner. The letter suggests that a price increase of 25% on gaming consoles, which may be necessary depending on the context of the incoming tariffs, could have substantial impact on the affordability of the machines and have significant adverse effects on the domestic industry. So this is very important. I know that that's, that's boring for a lot of people. Should I explain what tariffs are? I guess I should. Probably. So, and I'm only telling you guys this because it's it's relevant to our console, man, yeah. to our, our industry. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this. The idea of free trade means that goods can, can cross borders and countries and entities. So like Apple can go trade the iPhone in Japan 
and they don't they're not charged above and beyond just entering the market. The price is the price. They're able to make the deals on whatever basis they want. And that's how it works. When you slap a tariff on something that is called protection and protectionism is when you say China's uh, China can manufacture video game consoles for almost nothing. So that's why they're able to sell them here from Foxconn. They trade them here and there's no boundary for them to just flood our market with whatever they want. So the suggestion would be like if something's made in China, we slap a 25% tariff on it. That means just because the Chinese good is being sold in the United States as a domestic product, it will cost 25% more. That's basically a tax. Now, you're not going to pay a literal tax. The price will be more and they'll work on it yeah. on the back end. So that's the difference between free trade and protection. And tariffs suggest economic protection. The, the design behind this is to increase your manufacturing base so that you make things in the United States or in your country. So the idea would be like we make this so expensive for you to sell here that your only option is to actually make it here. And that creates manufacturing jobs and drives costs down. Mm-hmm. So Nintendo, Microsoft and Sony wrote a combined letter to the government saying that they are incredibly scared of being included on the Chinese tariff list because a 25 percent tariff increase would make video game consoles unaffordable for a lot of people in the United States. Keeping in mind, of course, that many Americans don't even have the money to pay for a $400 emergency like a blown tire or something like that. So what do you think of all of this now that I got that all out? Basically, the video game companies have come together to be like, we are scared of what you're about to maybe do to us because we manufacture our consoles overseas. And by the way, there's no way these things are being manufactured here, because if you want to pay fucking fifteen hundred dollars for a PS4, then you'll manufacture it in Ohio. Otherwise, you're going to manufacture it in China. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to pay that much for a console. (laughs) Is how I feel about it. I don't know. I'm I'm not. I I have no. This is like a whole like this wheelhouse is so not mine. Mm. That I just feel like uh, I'm just like floating around, you know, listening to music I don't understand. I understand. Well, I understand that you don't understand, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I understand it on like a no, base level. But like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. Do you side with like a massive <laughs> corporation that's making money hand over fist? Uh, or do you? But but at the same time, the, the consumer hurts. Yeah. Also, the, tariffs are always considered something that hurt ends up hurting the consumer in the short term. I'm yeah. actually a bit of a protectionist. I don't really mind the idea of protecting industry. The, the weird thing about the tariff here, though, is that we don't manufacture these things here. So there's you're not really protecting anything that Sony's not yeah. going to come and start making PS4s here. That's just not going to happen. So they so it, it makes sense if like there are Mexican dishwashers from uh, Kenmore being made down there and then they're also being made in Indiana and the cost of labor down there makes those Kenmore's a lot cheaper than the LG's that are made in Ohio. So you slap the fucking Kenmore's with a tariff. That makes a little more sense to me. Yeah, I understand that a little bit more. But if there's no option and you're really just hurting this thing, the best for people that want to know more about this, I won't get too deep into it. Go read about Brazil and the Brazilian game industry. Their tariffs are so substantial that it is almost impossible to buy new video games there. And I'm, I'm talking about like $2,500 consoles, hundreds of dollars for video games, like crazy shit like that. If you want to see what a tariff and what protection does to a gaming industry when they literally refuse to do anything about it, go read about Brazil. Yeah. Really fascinating. That's why Brazil, Dreamcast, is all the Sega shit's still big there. Master System was huge there for a long time. Genesis, et cetera, because they can't import consoles uh, without paying for it. <laughs> That's crazy. So, yeah, people can go read about that, but this is a substantial problem, and and I think something we're going to hear more about yeah. in the future because uh, it's not good. It's not going to be good for next gen if there's a 25% tariff on the consoles. No, for sure. You're talking about a $400 console becoming $550, etc. Good Lord. Number six, 
Coming out of E3, there were questions as to just how big Watch Dogs Legion would really be. After all, Ubisoft's claim is that players can take control of literally any NPC in the game, meaning that the various permutations possible could seemingly and easily spiral out of control. However, based on an interview Clint Hawking, the game's creative director, gave with Edge magazine, as relayed by website Games Radar, there are 20 different versions of the game's script, and it's unlikely to play the same way twice, and it's unlikely that you'll be able to play the same way twice all that often. Quote, I don't just mean people saying the diff same lines. We're talking about different characters, different personas, different voices, different acting. We're using technology to alter all the voices so that even if you happen to recruit Joe and John and they have the same actor and the same personality when they talk to each other, you won't know it's the same actor because we modulate the voices. We use photogametry to capture dozens of different faces, which have been combined using innovative animation techniques to produce literally thousands of unique heads. And quote, Watch Dogs Legion comes to PS4 and elsewhere in March of 2020. This gives us a little bit more of an idea of how big the game is, right, Chris? Because you and I during E3 were talking about they're making this game seem like it's impossibly big. But now we know it's just very big. 20 yeah. scripts. That's, that's still a that's, lot. That's pretty That's pretty interesting. It's this is like the most interesting Watch Dogs I think has ever been. Oh, honestly. Definitely, definitely. Without a doubt. I thought it was their strongest showcase at their E3 show, uh, at their E3 press conference. Yeah, lots honestly. of gameplay, which I appreciated. Yeah, lots of gameplay, and it was actually kind of neat. I love the idea of permadeath in, in a game like that. Me too. Especially because the characters are always just shit. <laughs> anyway, so... Like, yeah, like it doesn't really matter. Yeah, why not? You why not make them... Like, that's probably the big... The, that is the biggest chance you'll have at getting people attached to a main character is making him permadeath in a game like that. 100%. Agreed. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. No, it looks, it looks neat. And since it comes out in March of next year, it gives me time to play the others. Hopefully, I'll be able to do that beforehand. Yeah. You don't really need to. Number seven. Sounds like a new Nino Kuni game is indeed in development. Word comes by way of the website Dual Shockers, which translated an interview with Japanese newspaper Nikai, conducted with Akihiro Hino, the president of developer Level 5. Level 5, of course, is the studio not only behind the first two Nino Kuni games, but Dragon Quest 8 and 9, the Professor Layton series, the Dark Cloud series, Jean Dark, the Inazuma 11 franchise, the Yokai Watch series, and more. When the topic of Nino Kuni came up, Hino noted that a new game will launch at some point after the Nino Kuni animated movie launches in Japan, which happens in only a few months at the end of August. Unfortunately, he didn't give any further detail, but this was basically the first true confirmation that a third game in the franchise would be incoming, which wasn't guaranteed after the softer critical and commercial reception of Nino Kuni's 2018 sequel, Revenant Kingdom. The original Nino Kuni came to the PS3 in 2011 in Japan and in 2013 in the West, and it was based upon a little-known Japanese-only DS release. There's a friggin' movie? Yeah, That's apparently. insane. How big is this game? I don't know. Well, the game was a big deal because of Studio Ghibli doing the art for it. Right. I don't know that they're involved in it beyond that in this movie they weren't they didn't do the second game either so i don't know weird spencer braylon wrote in and said hey cnc level five has announced that it is developing the next entry in the nino kuni series and that will come out sometime after the movie and i was wondering your thoughts especially yours colin what do you hope that the sequel brings to the series or what mistakes do you hope they correct i know you personally weren't too fond of nino kuni 2 however it is one of my favorites i still haven't played the first but i'm looking forward to cha changing that this fall i appreciate all the hard work you both put in week after week as it makes my week better every time my big problem with Nino Kuni 2 is it, you know, I don't mind games being different, but Nino Kuni was all about emotion. It was all about sadness and about poignancy and all of those kinds of things. And Nino Kuni 2 just totally missed the boat on that. And without that, I just didn't relate to it as much. Nino Kuni 1 is an incredibly somber and incredibly down and dire and dour game. Would and you say that it felt just not like a Nino Kuni game? Yeah, it, it felt Nino Kuni's fundamental mechanic was a po it was a Pokemon game. Like you capture enemies and use them in battle. That's like totally gone in the second one. So like the whole fundamental 
aspect of it changed along with really not having a very endearing protagonist like the first one, mm. which is about a young boy losing his mom and like going into another world trying to find her. And she's she's deceased. It's really fucking sad. Yeah, that was what was so powerful about it. And without that, I just think that they're kind of missing a lot. And so with Nino Kuni three, I hope that they recapture the base essence of what made Nino Kuni so fun. You don't need to make a Nino Kuni two was too big. There was way too much shit in it. Yeah. You know, I don't think you need like to build a town and like do all. It's like, what is this? You know, I don't, I, there's too much being shoved into these games. Yeah. It just doesn't feel uh, what I'm, what I'm gathering is it just doesn't feel like the thing that it was established to be. Yes. Yeah. Essentially. Like, cause I've played games that are good games, but are just not good blank games. You know what I mean? I think that Nino Kuni too. I understand for instance, Chris, why Spencer likes the second one, but he hadn't played the first one. So he hasn't, doesn't have context. I think right, once right. you have context, you'll get why. I think the first one's so much more special and so much more impactful. Well, it's probably a good game, just not a good Nino Kuni game. Like Doom Three is a uh, a good game. Yeah, I like Doom Three a lot, but it's Me not too. it's not it's not really Doom. Chris, number eight. Number eight. Last week we discussed Bernie Sanders' historic status as the first mainstream presidential candidate in American history to take a stand on the unionization <laughs> of video game developers, and which he stands in the affirmative. Now Bernie Sanders has an official Twitch presence as well, using the username Bernie underscore Sanders. While there isn't any gaming content planned and it seems to be merely an extension of the candidate's content proliferation approach more than anything, it is notable that at 75,000 subs, Sanders is already gathering a following on the platform with little more than a, new, a few campaign ads and rally videos. This is so <laughs> interesting to me, Chris, because what a clever way if someone used this properly to raise money for your yeah. campaign. It's really smart, actually, like like really a really solid strategy. Also, it just it gives me a chuckle every time I think about it. Because I just picture I just picture Bernie Sanders on the on the PewDiePie bridge when he said the N word. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. It's just like every time it just cements into my brain. Terrible. I love it. It's I really think now Bernie Sanders. I was reading, and again, I don't mean to be political unless it's you know again relevant to what we're talking about, but it is. New polling came out after the Democratic debates, which just came out today, and Bernie Sanders is really slipping in the polls. So he's he's really he's, I mean Bernie Sanders is not going to win the nomination. He's not going to be president. Yeah. But it's a really smart thing to get involved in this way. And very similar, I give Bernie Sanders a shit ton of credit for just not only with his policies, whether or not you agree with them, but just setting trends like Bernie Sanders totally controls the whole through line of democratic thought right now with what, with his policies. Like everybody just copies about. him. Everybody's yeah, exactly. just copying him. They're trying to be Bernie Sanders. So you're going to see uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Pete Buttigieg and all these kinds of things on, uh, on here soon, I'm sure on Bernie or on Twitch and all that, because I think, man, five dollars subs is five dollars a month is what it is to like subscribe, right? You I get think so. you get three fifty of that. Twitch or Amazon gets a dollar fifty of that. Like if you got a bunch of people on there, that's just a really steady way to raise money for your campaign. It's incredibly clever. If Bernie Sanders actually took the time and was smart enough to sit down and actually do shit on Twitch, not games necessarily, but just talk to people and stuff, he'd raise a lot of money, man. For sure, yeah, it's a really smart idea. I agree. Props to him. Number nine, PUBG Corporation, the aptly named company behind the smash hit battle royale game PUBG, has officially announced the formation of a new internal studio called Striking Distance. Striking Distance will be helmed by Glenn, uh, Glenn Schofield, one of the early driving forces behind the Dead Space franchise at Visceral Games and co-founder of Sledgehammer Games, one of the several Activision-owned Call of Duty studios. Interestingly, the team will be charged with creating, quote, an original narrative experience within the PUBG universe, end quote, though the nature of what that experience will be or when it will come out remains to be seen. So it looks like PUBG is going to make a single player game, uh, which is actually props smart. Yeah. Props for doing that. Nobody wants that, but you know, props in general, got to do something because they're, they're definitely losing the script over there. I don't know what you could possibly make that game about. How the hell do you even do that? 
Oh, here's a story about the frying pan that you use. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, what, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just thought variety was, is variety, and that's good. Yeah. And it's good. Like uh, it was something that I was t- talking about Fortnite too. Is like I was like, if Fortnite had a campaign, it'd probably be pretty decent. So I don't know. This is one of the games, though, Chris, or one of the studios I can imagine never comes out with anything. This is like one of the, the studios yeah. that will just disappear. In yeah. Because that game already like still is kind of a broken mess. Glenn so. Schofield's an interesting dude. Uh, I've met him. He's a nice guy, but. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't know that Sledgehammer is an especially amazing studio. And I don't know that Visceral having made Dead Space a long time ago. That's awesome. But it's been a long time. So it's been a minute. I'll be interested to see what happens with him. Number 10, as we discussed before, E3, EA Access, publisher EA Electronic Arts subscription service, which originally launched on Xbox One back in 2014, is primed for launch on PS4 some five years after Sony told EA, no thanks. Now we know what the date you can a- gain access on your PS4 will be, July 24th. EA on Xbox One, or I'm sorry, EA Access will function virtually identical to how it does on Xbox One and PC. Subscribers will get access to a catalog of EA published games, a 10% discount on newer titles that you will have to buy, and more. EA Access costs $4.99 per month or $29.99 per year. Joshua Jonathan wrote in and said, Hello, gentlemen. Seems all major game publishers are heading towards monthly service offerings like EA Access or Xbox Games Pass. At first, I was annoyed by these services, but it's occurred to me that it would be a good thing for AAA games. If my budget is only for one major game per month, that's currently $60. If these services average $10 per month, I I could subscribe to six services within my budget and get my game that these services provide. Is this the future of game purchasing? If so, how does this affect the indie scene? Thanks for your thoughts and keep up the great work. What do you think? There's obviously yeah, rumors. Be. Ubi's doing this, but that's is clearly going to do this at some point. Sony's going to do it. So, yeah. I, I mean, that, I, I haven't thought of that specifically. That's a pretty good way to think about it. But I, I also can't help but think like it's just getting a bit saturated, man. Like, I just can't. I don't know. Like, the, the, every time I hear about something else, I'm just like another one. And you have to also uh, add this into you have to keep in mind that people are also paying for like things like Netflix and Hulu and like th- things like that. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, at a certain point, it's going to be like, what's the difference between just like buying a game you really want and a cable package. Like, I feel like we're just headed back into the cycle again. Yeah, I think you're right. I said this on Twitter a few weeks ago and I thought it was salient, but I don't know that a lot of people took it for what it is. But Hulu is a specifically interesting company because Hulu is founded by multiple networks to proliferate their their stuff. NBC, Fox and Disney were the original or, or the big three owners of the of the service. And they combined their stuff so they can compete with Netflix and they can compete with Amazon. That's what I would like to see with these passes. Now, I, I don't expect that the first party would do it, but like what's stopping Bethesda, Ubisoft, EA, uh, Activision, all these guys getting together and making a Hulu. Basically, everyone takes a piece. Yeah. And you make one service. Maybe it's expensive. Maybe it's like 50 bucks a month, you know, yeah. but like you get access to everything these guys do, or at least their full catalogs of games. This is exactly what NBC and Fox and Disney did with Hulu. I don't understand why these companies couldn't do it with this. Well, I know that Disney is now making their own yeah, thing. They're divesting. But that's stupid. And I, because they could have just done it with Hulu. They already owned a piece of it. So, like, I think that the, the, the way that you circumnavigate this going back to cable packages and this a la carte situation we find ourselves in is to for these publishers to swallow their pride, get together and create something together that is palatable because right. I I don't know that you're going to be able to afford getting involved no. in all these things. And I don't know that publishers see my big thing here, Chris, is that if a publisher like EA five bucks a month, right? EA puts a new game on their service a few months later, I'll just pay them five bucks, play the game and get out. Now, if you make it more affordable and easier and more set and forget, then that's different. Then I'll probably stay forever. And so I think that they really need to consider that. I would love to see some sort of collective approach 
Square Enix, Activision, Bethesda, uh, Devolver. Everyone just get involved and make something and call it something and everyone owns a piece. That's what I would like. I wonder how much money they make from dead people. Probably an insane amount, yeah, actually. Yeah, I would assume so. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just, but what's the stop? What makes you think that, uh, like, the, obviously Disney invested in Hulu and they started and then they broke off and, and now they're doing their Disney Plus thing. What's to say that that's just not the inevitable end to all of it? It could that be. that they all just break off and do their own thing because evidently Disney found it suitable to do that. Yeah. Even though I, they I, own everything. I agree. I, I think, I think Disney, I, well, to be fair, I think, because I, I think you're right, but I think the Disney now is different than the Disney that made the Hulu deal. So I think that like the, the reality is just different. Hulu was 10 years or more ago now when they, everyone came together to yeah. do that. So I don't know, Chris, I, I just, cause I, you're right. I have Amazon. I have Netflix. I have Hulu. I also have like a bunch of shit under Amazon, like my HBO and Showtime accounts and stuff. Yeah, at yeah. some point it just, it like, to, I don't know what I'm spending or where it's going. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling that right now. I think I'm going to, I think I have to draw the line though. Like I, I don't know. I'd rather actually, excuse me. I'd rather, I'd rather actually buy a game. I think at this point. Yeah, I think so. But I'm in the same boat, we'll see what happens. Number 11. It appears that Ace Team, the Chilean studio best known for the two games in the indie game series Rock of Ages, is working on a game called Soul Seraph, which will be published by Sega and launched imminently. It comes to PlayStation 4 next week on July 10th. This game wouldn't be notable except for one thing. It's an overt spiritual successor to ActRaiser, an early SNES game from the publisher Enix and developer Quintet that went on to command a serious cult following over the last nearly three decades. Worth noting, this is long before Square Enix, when Enix was its own company. And Quintet is a great Japanese developer that does not exist anymore. ActRaiser is unique because it was half side-scrolling action game, half God Sim, and put players in the role of God as he vanquished enemies in side-scrolling sections before going up to heaven where he, being you, can coordinate the development of civilization. Sega and Ace Team aren't exactly hiding the many similarities between the game, either going as far as having the same composer from ActRaiser. This is not necessarily that notable, but I love ActRaiser so much. That, that sounds I, really cool. That when I saw this, I was like... What? Like this is it's <laughs> totally ActRaiser. It is completely ActRaiser in 2.5D, unfortunately. But yeah. you so for people that don't know, ActRaiser was basically a game. You would go down, fight this, do the side scrolling section. Once you did it, you would go back up to heaven and then organize your civilization in that area. Like build houses and roads and all that kind of stuff. And then you would go back in and like fight another demon. So would you like get so currency from like the fights or something to spend like on the... You got... Yeah, you earn currency. Or like points, I guess. Not from the fighting, but from when you're in God mode, you earn currency that way by doing certain things. Like your people oh, have to like... Your people pray to you and like beg you for things and like all, and like ask for offerings. And it's really cool. It's a, ActRaiser is a really, really, really great game. And I think it's just trapped behind some closed door at Square Enix like where they refuse to re-release it. The sequel is awful by the way. Um, so this is really exciting. So Soul Seraph. Do you know, did you ever play From Dust? From Dust? Yeah, that sounds familiar. PS3, Xbox 360? Yeah, it was like a weird arcade kind of god game. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I actually kind of liked might've. it. I, I, think I, I think I liked it. Was it like in, in the tropics? Y yeah. Like you had in like, sand? Yeah, it was like yeah. a lot of sand. Yeah, I remember, I remember that. Yeah, I don't know. That just came into my head. <laughs> Similar. Yeah. Finally, Chris, it's a wrap up. Number 12. Website Gamatsu reports that adventure game NG is coming to PS4 and Vita this October. JRPG Atelier Ryza Ever Darkness and the Secret Hideout is coming to Western PS4s on October 29th. Previously revealed SRPG Disgaea 4 Complete Plus is coming to PS4 on October 29th. And that Alliance Alive HD Remastered, which is a port of the 3DS JRPG, is coming to Western PS4s on October 8th. 
Push Square reports that multiplayer game Hunt Showdown, which is already on PC and Xbox One, is coming to PS4 later in 2019, and that old-school Zelda-like game Forager is coming to PS4 in July. And finally, the official PlayStation blog reports that both the Mighty Switch Force Collection and fighting game Fantasy Strike are coming to PS4 on July 25th. Chris, that's all we have for the news. It's time to get into the game releases, of which there are not that many. As tradition dictates, you will go first. Alrighty. Uh, what is this? As Divine Dios uh, come, <laughs> comes to PS4 and PS Vita. So that's a new one. Yay. Yay. Among the many worlds the deities have created, there is one world that abounds with life known as As Divine. I want to say As Divine for some reason. You can call it whatever you want. No one's going to know what you're doing. <laughs> but when a spate of disturbances erupts across the globe and an ever spreading murk threatens to destroy it, Isaioi, ah, the, de- the deity of As Divine himself, takes up his cause uh, to save the world he created with his own hands. <sighs> whatever. These made up words, man. Brain Breaker comes to PS4. Are you ready to break your brain? While the kids are having fun with easy mode, master players can use different regions in your brain in insane mode. Choose from hundreds of backgrounds to create your own atmosphere. Playing three different games at the same time requires multitasking skills. Can you handle it? Ovivo comes to PS4. Ovivo is a mesmerizing platformer with unusual mechanics where everything is as simple as black and white. It is a metaphorical game filled with illusions and hidden messages. In the world of Ovivo, black and white exist in harmony. By constantly intertwining and replacing each other, they maintain balance. Balance must be maintained. Balance must be maintained. Paradox Soul comes to PS4 and Vita. Paradox Soul is an exploration-based survival Metroidvania that takes hand-holding and throws it out the window. Instead of spelling everything out for the player, the only way for Dr. Ali Rose to figure out what's going on in a peculiar test facility is to descend deeper down the rabbit hole and figure it out all by herself. You are her only hope. That sounds like every Metroidvania game, but I'm looking forward to playing it. Hopefully it's not the one with the fucking cheap-ass trophies in it or I'll fucking kill someone. <laughs> it probably is. What? What? Sc- <laughs> this isn't that weird. No, it's. It, I just think the name's Scrapers. <laughs> Scraper First Strike comes to PSVR. Scraper First Strike is the first episode of a planned five-part VR sci-tech shooter with RPG and exploration elements. It will take the player on a journey through a new IP with fully developed characters, story arcs, and a world filled with unique and exciting environments. That just sounds like what a game is. Five-part VR sci-tech shooter? That's a pretty ambitious, if I do say so myself. Pretty ambitious. My suspicion is we will not see all those. Sea of Solitude comes to PS4. When humans get too lonely, they turn into monsters. Set sail across a beautiful and evolving world of darkness and light and discover what it means to be human. Embark on a nuanced and intimate action adventure where players must guide Kay through her sea of solitude in this touching tale of darkness and light. Stranger Things 3, the game, comes to PS4. Stranger Things 3 is the official companion game to Season 3 of the hit original series. This adventure game blends a distinctively retro art style with modern gameplay mechanics to deliver nostalgic fun with a fresh new twist. Explore, solve puzzles, and battle the emerging evils of the Upside Down. Mm. You know what would be great? Hmm. And until until dawn, uh, Stranger Things game. I would that love would be that. Fun. That'd be sick. Super massive. I would like that. Tour de France season 2019 comes to PS4. The yellow jersey is yours. The official route of the 21 stages of the 2019 Tour de France have been reproduced down to the last detail and will take you from Belgium to the Champs-Élysées. You can play online for the first time in history of the series, challenging up to three other players in shorter, more intense races. Will a wonderful world comes to PS4? Become a god and help change the fate of people, even the world. Well, that's, that's a lot of power. 
In Will, A Wonderful World, you will receive letters written by characters living in urban cities. By rearranging the order and combinations of sentences in these letters, you are going to alter the destiny of whomever that wrote them. What? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, that's coming to PS4. I can't make any sense of that, Chris. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Chris, as tradition dictates here on Sacred Symbols, we will end our episode with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Remember, you can support us on Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand for early ad-free access to every episode of our show and also the ability to submit your inquiries just like these six individuals did. Remember, as well, we are considering and talking about starting to do a second episode only for patrons of this of Sacred Symbols beginning in August. Uh, if you are interested in subscribing for that, I would not do that quite yet. Right. Because we haven't finalized anything yet, but we appreciate everyone coming on. By the way, uh, record breaking month for Patreon last month on Collins last. stand. so thank you for that. Awesome. Chris Forbes wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, why do you think there is such a lack of great superhero games with the obvious exceptions of the Arkham games and Spider-Man? It seems as though good games based on comic books aren't greenlit as often as they should be. Infamous and Prototype attempted to fill the whole last generation with original superhero characters, but it seems lacking during this generation. Do you think there is a particular issue with superheroes that makes them difficult to make great games in the genre, or is it simply a lack of perceived risk taken by taken by a major AAA publisher? Thanks, and hope you guys are doing great. Chris, hmm. what do you think? I think it's probably a licensing thing, most yeah. more than anything. But also, just like a lot of challenge, a lot of superheroes are just kind of overpowered. Mostly, the, the ones that work best are characters like Spider Man. Where, like, yeah, you have freedom of movement, but you're kind of limited to, like, as long as there's a building around you, you know? I feel like it, those kind of characters lend themselves well, but, like, a Superman game? I don't know how fun flying around is, as, as Anthem showed, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm most offended by Forbes' contention that uh, using Infamous and Prototype in the uh, same sentence. Well, they are superhero games. They are. You one was great. Well, well one's, one's a supervillain game, I would argue. What prototype? Yeah. yeah, prototype. Yeah, infamous could be either, and I, yeah, prototype. I yeah. guess is more. Of a super I, I, man, I love prototype. Honestly, I wanted to like it more than I did. I'll tell you that. Prototype is like Doom, but it's like third person, and you just like beat people up for the sake of beating. That that is actually a game that is like when people say like people play video games for violence. That is actually accurate for that. Game. Like I played that game specifically because it was so ridiculously violent. I think it was. I think for me, it felt so insufficient because of when it came out around Infamous. The original yeah, maybe Infamous. it felt like it felt a bit classic to me for some reason. I guess that's probably what it means. But I think you're right, Chris. I think a lot of this does come back to licensing. And I also think that, you know, DC, let's just use DC and Marvel as an example. I know that there are others. They seem to be a little bit more or a lot more reserved with their IP because people have kind of fucked around with their IP in the past. DC's actually been pretty limited with their IP usage. I mean, the Arkham games are, I think, easily the best superhero games. I think they're better than Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I like Spider-Man a lot. And I think Marvel now is trying to deliberately find partners. But even with uh, Crystal Dynamics, we don't know how the Avengers are going to work out. But even with Crystal Dynamics, that game doesn't look very good. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of nervousness because I think that once you spin up a yarn, you put it out there. I think it removes your ability to do that again for a little while. So if you like waste your good Venom game or something, then you're not going to really be able to make one for a while. No one's going to buy it again. So I think you have to get it right. I think you have to do it right. And I think that that's what's 
clearly Arkham's relationship, or I should say Rocksteady's relationship with DC is clearly the predicate by which everything is based today and them really taking their time. And, I, and you know, they're working on a Justice League game, it seems. And so, you know, who knows? Or, or did, they, did they confirm that or deny that? They might have denied that. I think actually. they might have denied it. So maybe a Batman game, which would be yeah, who knows? great. I, I never understood, like, why would you want them to do anything other than a Batman game? They make such... Arkham Knight was a disappointment, I think, but they made they make great Batman games. They, Arkham Knight was great, aside from the the, the, drive, the driving. Yeah, I couldn't, you take, know? I couldn't take the driving. But yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I think it's it's mostly a licensing thing. I love the villains in, in Batman. Yeah, they're so great. They're great. They're really... Like, I don't read the comics and I'm not familiar with them, so I really like reading the rogue gallery. Like, they have these little write-ups on everyone and where they first appeared and who they are. I find... As, as a, lay, a comic layman, I really enjoy that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, I, I liked that in Spider-Man as well. No, same, yeah. I don't know anything about these characters. My my first exposure to superheroes at all was like the Spider-Man uh, by ne- Neversoft on the PS1. It was awesome. Fantastic. By yeah. the way, in Prototype, you can eat a man. You can eat an old man and then wear his skin. You can. You can do that in Prototype. That's part of that. I platinumed Prototype 2. Oh, I'm sorry. 2 is terrible. I didn't yeah, like 2 at all. But no. I platinumed Prototype 2... Crisis and something else back to back to back for some reason. Ooh, that doesn't sound like a good time. Crisis was rough. Kirk wrote in and said, hey, guys, Colin, what would you want to see in a G.I. Joe video game? Not sure if you answered this before, but your fireside chat made me wonder since you're so passionate about the property. I am. I love G.I. Joe. Are you into G.I. Joe? You're, you're too young for G.I. Joe. I had a G.I. Joe, Did but you? I didn't really like it was it was like so the much figure G.I. Joe or a doll. I had the doll one. Oh, okay, the 12-inch ones. Yeah. So the three and three-quarter inch ones from 82 to 94 are yeah. what I'm really into. And uh, I think G.I. Joe... So there was a G.I. Joe video game based on the G.I. Joe, the shitty live-action G.I. Joe movie about 10 years ago. <laughs> EA, EA put it out. The game actually wasn't that bad. It, it was really fucking hard. It's probably better than the movie. Yeah, it was kind of like this top-down shooter thing. See, here's the thing about G.I. Joe. It's chock full of really interesting and really zany characters. It is campy, campy, campy all day, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that you have to play that up. It can't be serious and it can't be it can't be like a stoic approach to like a third person shooter or something. The the, the reason G.I. Joe is so cool is because Cobra is fucking wild. They seem to have no Cobra. The bad guys seem to have no goal (laughs) and they are just be evil. Yeah. And they just all dress in these ridiculous outfits. It's so fucking fun and cool. It's fun. And that see, that's what I would want out of G.I. Joe is it's just it's fun. So make something that that captures the essence of that fun. And, And unfortunately, there are two NES games, GI Joe NES games. One made by Taxon, who doesn't exist anymore. I don't remember who the other one made, who the other one was. These were really good games because they understood. They were just basic side scrollers. Let you choose your characters. It's basic. It's got to be a toy commercial. Just throw everyone at me. I want to see everyone. I want to be able to play as many characters as I want. Maybe play as Cobra and GI Joe. So that's what I would want out of a GI Joe game. But you have to get the campiness right. Anything that tries to make GI Joe serious, like those movies, yeah. is a failure. Right? It's like Power Rangers. You can't make Power Rangers serious. It, the, the the reason people like it is because it's so ridiculous. Exactly. People have to embrace camp more. Yeah. I think it's a really valuable tool in creation when you can create when it's basically an excuse to do whatever you want, kind of. And I think that that's fun. Like sometimes it's not. I want, you know, Drake's Fort or Uncharted to be a little more grounded. But when you're talking about G.I. Joe. You know, like the the opening of the G.I. Joe animated movie yeah, yeah. is them fighting around the Statue of Liberty, which is fucking awesome. Yeah, I, it's well, like one of my yeah. favorite scenes in anything. Well, you don't want camp in like The Last of Us. You know? Right, exactly. Because it's established not to be a campy universe, but like it's something like, why not? So, but camp G- is great. I would love, I dude, I would love a new G.I. Joe, like a, like a $20 
downloadable. You know what would be fun is almost something like Castle Crashers or oh, uh, an yeah. arcade game like that where you like you have or basically a Contra. Yeah. Castle Crashers might be one of my favorite games ever. Oh, it's coming to PS4 in a little while. Ah, excited. Javi wrote in and said, Colin, Chris, I come bearing questions and hope you can give answers. We can't. I mean, I don't know if people listen to the show, but we usually don't have very good answers. What are your thoughts on in-game pre-order bonuses for single-player games? I detest them, but not for the reason you may think. I think that they sully a carefully crafted and balanced opening for a game, both lore-wise and gameplay-wise. Starting a new story or gameplay-driven game with silly alternate costumes, extra money or skill points, items or gear seems to detract from the immersion and in-game balance. I doubt developers design the start of the games with these perks in mind. I feel they detract from creators' intent, and so always do my best to drop or discard such items and ignore the extra skill points until later in the game, but always feel conflicted for doing so. I suppose this may only apply when the bonuses are unlocked immediately upon starting a new game, but I rest my point in question. This is actually a great, great question. I, I, my confusion with pre-order perks, in-game pre-order perks, is who gives a shit? That was always my thing. It's like you get a (laughs) rifle skin, a fucking bunny hat, and uh, you know, like, and and a and a car, and I'm like, okay, I that's gonna get that's getting yeah, you to pre-order the game. Yeah, especially lately, in the last like like seven to ten years, they've been really like kind of like here's a hat, you know, here's a skin. It's like, and it's like I don't really get this. Like I remember like back uh, when it would be like you pre-order this game and you get to play as like this really cool character or whatever the hell. It's like oh that's uh, all right, whatever. I was gonna buy this anyway, so whatever. Who cares? I don't know if I hate them, really. I, I'm really indifferent toward, to them. Sometimes I'll even bite. Very rarely. Not anymore, I guess. Like when I was a kid, I used to. But Here's my contention, though. Mm-hmm. He says that it breaks the balance, but aren't these perks usually given to you in the form of a code? So don't you have to actively go get them? Yeah. You, actually, you have to make the choice to, to get them. And even if it's part of a digital pre-order and it's in the download bundle you still need to download that and bundle. that doesn't and that doesn't apply to like every like obviously like there's some games that don't even have skill points or perks or anything like that right i understand um, what his point is but, but I, yeah. I guess what i'm saying is is that just don't activate yeah them. like it seems like you're working around it but even if you're pre-ordering a digital game it's still not it's still an ancillary download so you can still just not download it yeah my bigger thing is is that i still think pre-ordering games is fucking stupid mm. the only time i ever pre-order games is like the day a game's coming out and I just go on PSN and download it because I get the little timer and then I'm ready to go if I don't get a code. Yeah. But otherwise, like, I don't and really then you miss... get extra stupid shit just for doing it. Yeah, probably. But I don't know. I have no idea what the fuck I got. Yeah, probably. It. So, yeah. Is it does it detract from the creator's intent? I suppose so. But I'm a little more confused by why this is such a valuable pre-order tool. That's clearly that's the thing is it clearly works like people are. If this didn't work, it would have gone away, but it's clearly working. So if you, you know, down, you know, get your uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 pre-order and get your assless chaps, you know, like that, that kind of like <laughs> seems to work, but I don't get why. I think it's, I think it's to get people who are going to buy the game anyway and just make them feel like they've, they've done something already. Mm. Like they have something waiting for them. That's beyond just what, what's there. Right. Even if it is something menial and useless. When you walk into your dark, empty apartment and that's all you have waiting. Yeah. For I do feel like it's a psychological thing more, more than anything for real. Yeah, you're probably right. I like pre-order bonuses that are like you get a discount or something. That's cool. That's what that's what I understand people pre-ordering. Yeah. Amazon doesn't even do that anymore, so you can't even do that now. Yeah, I don't know. Scott Lammers wrote into us and said, question for Colin. I am meticulous about my hours played being accurate, much like yourself. How do you deal with resets when you play a game like Felseal? Sometimes they play a battle for 30 minutes and reset with a new strategy in mind. This is 30 minutes. The timer does not capture. It's a great point. It's a great point. Now, I am obsessive with clocks and games obsessive. <laughs> like how, how much time you've spent? Yeah, like I, I, I'm almost if a game counts time, I almost immediately look into how the time is stopped. Like that's one of the first things to do in a game. 
In Bloodstained, you have to stop the time by going to cross media. You can't even stop it by just pausing the game. So I know that. In Felseal, you can't stop the time at all. So mm. I'm constantly loading new saves and stuff like that. But yeah, I like the... You're right. It doesn't represent your lost battles and all that kind of stuff, but it represents the the experience, like the campaign experience. So I just like having... I like knowing that's the least amount of time I played, I guess. But I don't understand these clocks that are just maxed out. Like someone sent me a picture of them playing Felseal and had like a 400-hour clock and they're like behind me, you know, in the, yeah, in the game. Yeah. And I'm like, how did this happen? And it's because you just left your game on forever. <laughs> I hate that shit, man. You don't care about that, though, obviously. You don't Not really. I, I, I'll, I'll peek into it out of curiosity. Like I remember when back in the day when, when Bungie put out their like stats for how long you played and I looked in, and I saw that I'd played Halo 3 for 25 days. And I was like, oh, God. That's a really big problem. <laughs> well, it's a similar thing that I remember last year when yeah, PlayStation released that data, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... The thing is, I don't even think that's menu time. I think that's genuinely accurate, actually probably how long I played that game for, which is, scares me. It is scary. Josh Naylor wrote in, Chris. He said, hey, Chris and Kyle. Actually, he said, hiya. I have a bone to pick with the PlayStation Store specifically regarding the VR library. Colin, I know that you have spoken for a long time about how Sony's lack of curation when it comes to atrocious games somehow being added to the store. Let's not forget Life of Black Tiger. Let's never forget Life of Black Tiger. The hell is that? Arguably the worst PSN game you've ever seen. Was that the one where you played as like the tiger and it looked like a PS2 to one game? Yeah, PS1 at best. Yeah. Holy shit. Like a mid mid gen PS1. I just remembered that. Fucking terrible. (laughs) Exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. How? How? I think Sony might have even put a trailer on their fucking YouTube channel for it. Well, if you think the regular game library is bad, you should take a gander at the VR library. It is filled with Life of Black Tiger-esque games that are just saturating the store and hiding the real gems. Does Sony really care to sell more PSVR units, VR units with these quality-lacking games overwhelming their library? As a semi-early adopter, I would just hate to see this product fail. Not every game has to be a masterpiece, but come on, at least put a little effort in. Check out Deadland VR, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Hmm. This is the problem with the whole story. I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum. I'm glad to continue to talk about this and beat this drum, Chris, because it's unacceptable. Especially with PSVR, you would think that you would really want to cultivate the very best games here so that when a person goes to a person's house and plays it for the first time and they go and buy a random game that they're getting something quality so that they go buy the PSVR. It really is weird. They just do not care about cultivating a quality library. And I'm telling you right now, there is a subjective line about quality. There just is like there just is. I know that criticism is not objective. Um, And I'm sorry, I mean an objective line. There's an objective line. The subjectivity about reviewing and criticism, that's all great, but that's above the line. Yeah, like Secret Life of Black Tiger is objectively bad. Like there's and like Ride to Hell yeah. de- uh, Retribution or whatever is objectively terrible. Life of Black Tiger is an example of a game where I'm like, if you got any enjoyment out of this, I don't believe you. And if you really claim that you did, <laughs> then you really don't know fucking anything. And you have no right to like to, to say like, well, I liked it and everything belongs on the store. Oh, but you know what? The, the thing that's we're in a different environment now, too, where like people will buy a game specifically if it's terrible oh yes that's just true. to stream it or to make a video about it or like or and and stuff like that and i don't know if it's like the majority of people probably not but like any sale at all is probably something that's true black tiger was one of those games so i actually yeah. am curious because we make fun of games that i'm telling you sell like a few hundred copies on ps and i'm telling you that's how many copies these games sell and, which is amazing because there's a hundred million ps4s so when you're selling literally 400 copies of your game that's a you problem right so Life of Black Tiger was one of those viral games, so I really wonder how many copies it sold. I bet you Life of Black Tiger might have sold like 25,000 copies or something like yeah. that. I, I bet people is. bought it because they knew how bad it was, though. That's the thing. Like, that's some that's <sighs> probably the selling point of it. 
And I'm, pr- I'm sure that's probably the philosophy that some of these people use. Yeah. Let's just make something shitty and then maybe people will stream it. Maybe people will make a video about it and then other people will know about it and then they'll want to play it because it's so bad. Have you seen this thing? I think it's a genuine strategy that some people do employ. It's, it's just like the trophy uh, strategy yeah. with, that, with that one publisher. It, it, it is a strategy. It's clearly working, I guess, for some people. But, man, Sony needs to get there. They should wrap your arms around this problem already. It's only going to get worse. That's the problem. This is only going to get more complicated. If you want to have a retroactive cleansing and purging of your store, which you should, then it's only going to get worse with every week that passes. Yeah. So I really think, like, God, man, I would act, I would literally love that job. If Sony was like, literally, listen, Colin, we'll pay you X amount of money. This is your job now. You just go through PSN and you just mark games that suck and we're going to delete them. <laughs> like just like objectively terrible. Yeah, like not terrible. like a, not like a taste thing. Right. You know, you're not going to delete Persona 4. Or right, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's why I said that it should be a council of people, like 10 people that do it and vote. Yeah. And literally you have to have like eight votes to get rid of a game or something like that. Yeah. That way it would be like an overwhelming thing of... Of not taste. It's literally like this doesn't this doesn't belong. This doesn't run. There were games on put on Sony uh, last year on PS4 that were literally stolen assets that they had to take the game down. Like yeah. no one's paying attention to anything that's going on over there. Oh, yeah. They also took another game down that literally gave you an automatic basically play, platinum trophy. They actually took that one down. They actually cared about that for some reason. That's a weird thing to care about when you have something that doesn't run on your store. <sighs> Whatever. Dylan has the final inquiry, Chris. He says, ahoy, mateys, I need advice. I have a gaming compatriot who is psychologically unable to finish games. Whenever he nears the end, he sets the game down and after several months, picks it up again, only to restart from the beginning. A recent example was restarting Persona 5 after 90-something hours of progress. What does, this, what does this man need in his life to allow him to achieve video game conclusion? That means he's afraid of closure. Yeah, there's, there's something what my deep therapist is, is what my therapist bone is saying. Maybe there is something about that. I actually I actually often stop games near the end, too. Uh, I typically go back to them, but for some reason, I always stop like near the end. I, I, I very rarely drive through a game. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, maybe that says something about me. It's very rare. I'll, I'll do it on occasion. I did it with Spider-Man. I did it with Crash. I did it with God of War, I think. Red Dead. This, it's usually an exception. It's usually not the rule that I power through a game like that. Right. I wonder, though, in this letter, Chris, this Dylan, are you talking about yourself, Dylan? <laughs> yeah, I have a friend. <laughs> it's for a friend, I swear. No one listen. No one that listens to this show has friends. You're not. You're not <laughs> kidding anyone. All right. You can't fool us, Chris. That's all I have for this episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. It's a beefy one, hefty. It was. It was beefy. It's a little erotic. That word. I like that word. Beefy. Yeah. Is it erotic? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I, I think of food like really. a beefy hog. I don't know how that's erotic either. That's that's just downright concerning. I know that's a little disgusting, actually. Really, when it comes down to it, isn't it? Chris, do you have any closing <laughs> comments before we go? I'm going to Vegas, yeah. and I, I'm not looking forward to it because I'd rather work. Oh, <laughs> Vegas is fun. You're gonna have a good time. Yeah, we'll see. Appreciate you get beat up in the street. Yeah, go get beat up. Yeah, that's happening these days now in the United States. Everyone's getting beat up. So yeah, neat. Chris, appreciate your time, everyone out there. I appreciate you guys and gals listening to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Remember, throw us support on patreoncom stand. But if you want to be a freeloader, we love you anyway. Leave us nice reviews on podcast services. Tell your friends and family about our show, and be nice to yourself. Please be nice to yourself. That's good advice. Yeah. Don't throw yourself off a bridge or do anything no. like that. No, don't do that. Yeah. We'll see you next week for more Sacred Symbols, as they say in France. Au revoir. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun.
You can find me on Twitter at No Taxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algaret, CJ Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Boisford, Michael Josiah Borison, Barrett Boswell, Daniel Boyer, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Jimmy Brown, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolicure, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Alex Moans, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Michael Shanholz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Streicharsk, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Jacob Turnboff, Phil Van Rall, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayan, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, Infinite, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Donk2015, and Gavin. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to you. Whoa. Oh, geez. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.